Patricia, my darling Patricia I can see all my dreams in your eyes Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no foolin' I'm falling in love with you Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia. You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling Patricia, no fooling I'm falling in love with you Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no foolin'. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in Hello, family. It's Saturday night, April the 23rd, year 2016 on Walden Shoes. I hold down the left side of the coast. <laughs> it's, it's a very important coast because it needs to balance. It needs to balance. It needs to balance the state of Florida. You know, it takes twice of us to take care of Florida. So I hold down well, California. You do have twice of us. Yeah, I know. And see, I hold down California. Especially on Saturday night, okay, you know, because my co-host, yeah, you're over there. My co-host, she she destroyed the stirs to drink around here on Saturday night. I'm what? <laughs> well, <laughs> but, <laughs> <laughs> you haven't heard that one, huh? Would you repeat it? No, I haven't. <laughs> Say it one more time. I don't you, think I caught it. You are the straw that stirs the drinks around here on Saturday night. Uh-huh. And that phrase, okay. that phrase. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, tinkle, tinkle, tinkle. Oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> I first heard that phrase. In the 1970s, when Reggie Jackson joined the New York Yankees, and remember, in those days, in New York, the Bronx Bombers were sort of, there were the books named the Bronx Zoo. And when Reggie got there and Billy Martin there, uh, it was often said that Reggie Jackson 
with the straw that stirred the drinks. And so, I'm just tapping you with that phrase, because you are the Reggie Jackson of Yesterday USA. I have never heard that before. Holy cow. I have led such a sheltered life. I know. What did they, Reggie Jackson had a nickname. What was his nickname? Mr. October. That's it. Yes. I couldn't remember that. You look at film clips of this guy hitting a home run. Yep. And... I know some people were upset the way he would react to it. I just love it. He would watch that ball take off, and he'd just kind of do a little hippie hop outside of the um, of the batter's box. That's right. And start and start running to first. I mean, he knew it was gone, and it, it was just so much fun to see somebody go. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, he probably wasn't doing that, but it looked like it. You know, he'd just take a little skip and and start to run, and it was just. So cool. He, I like that. He, Hello. he, 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 people pay just to watch him strike out because if you ever saw him strike out, it was a tour de force performance. No kidding. Oh, yes. I did not know that. Oh, yes. You should, Mr. October, that, that meant he came through late in the season. He came through during the World Series. Ah, he hit, okay. he hit three home runs on three consecutive pitches in the 1977 World Series. For the you Yankee. Joshing me. No. Oh my gosh. I hope they gave him an elephant for his birthday. He deserved something <laughs> at least that big. <laughs> my goodness. Uh, okay, he, he, you, can, you, you can say Florida now. He still does a, a thousand push ups a day. He still. He does what? A thousand push A thousand. <laughs> no, no, it's a thousand. I can't walk up 13 stairs. <laughs> <laughs> it, no, it's a thousand sit ups. A thousand sit ups a day. That is remarkable. How yeah. old is he now? Oh, my gosh. Has to be in his so mid-70s, mid probably. I will go do that. And uh, This guy is really serious. He, he you, know, very, you could kill yourself with exercise. He's very articulate. He's one of the most brightest athletes I remember yes. hearing yes. from. Let's see. By the way, that, that that is the adorable one around here. The adorable, lovely Patricia. I'm here. Who I missed last week because I was off in Seattle with the boys. So I left, yeah. I left Patricia behind. I know. I know. It's okay. What did you do? Don't worry about me. What did <laughs> I'll be fine. What? Oh my gosh, what a show we're going to have tonight. Oh, yeah. Hello, everybody. Hi, everybody. Anyway, you missed a wonderful interview, or I hope you, I hope you get to tune in later to hear the interview that Patricia get did. But you know, yes, she did. Yeah, she did a great. Do interview. I get to tell people? Yes. What What do you want to okay. tell? Okay, I will tell them. We just a little bit ago got off the phone with Tony Tennille. She was the Tennille half of the Captain and Tennille on television and Captain and Tennille on all of their tours and their performances and oh my goodness. Uh, she said when we got finished, she said, I don't think there's anything left to my life. Well, you know, I'm only on page 12 here. <laughs> um, Tony, really, Tony has a book out, Tony Tennille, um, my memoirs or memoirs? Memoir, Tony Tennille, a memoir, memoir. A memoir, thank you, you are so good. 
I see, I don't have something in front of me. I can't even <laughs> talk right. But anyway, we'll play that in a little while. And I think you'll enjoy it. She is just a remarkable lady. Um, and sounds just like she did when the Captain and Tennille was on television. Which was a few years ago. Yes, it yeah. was 1980, I think I said. Uh-huh. 80 to 81, does that sound right? That's right. Very good. Especially since I don't have my paper. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Walden, I am a wreck. We have a couple of stations announcements to go over. Um, you were listening on the show today or throughout the station. Uh, we don't know what happened. Um, everything got pushed back a half hour. Uh, oh. so, so I called Kim, and so she had to reboot the, uh, the, the computer, and so we dumped part of the Twilight Zone to reset the clock, that way we are on time. But, uh, that happened sometime, it might happen early in the morning, so if you heard any dead air, there was some computer glitch. Now, underscore Bill is now working on the system. While we're doing the live show. He can't do it while the automation system is being played. So while we're talking and taking phone calls, underscore Bill going to go inside and see what, what caused the hiccup. But So we're, we're the little laboratory mice? Mm-hmm. That's right. Hmm. We, 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 we run around and <laughs> cover up all the goofs, you know. <laughs> you squeak very well. <laughs> anyway, yes, so. Yes. You have a history of squeaking. That's right. I, I, I haven't done my squeak in a while. We haven't done squeak weeks. You know, that, that that's an old no. routine for us. No, no. Especially when... you don't give away secrets. <laughs> 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 we, we don't have anything left <laughs> to give away. <laughs> I, should bring, oh, I should bring that back just, just to remind people who listened to us years ago. In our oh, ki- my gosh. Yes. Kittyhood. Yes, and especially in the chat room. Oh, yeah. Um, Walden would have a secret. And it could be anything, you know, really simple or, gosh, guess what's coming uh-huh. type thing. Uh-huh. And he was sworn to secrecy, but nobody swore him to no squeaks. <laughs> and, and it was like 20 questions, and he wouldn't say anything, and I'd say something a little bit warmer, and he'd go, squeak. <laughs> and, and I'd get warmer, and he'd say, squeak. <laughs> and by the time I got to the answer, which I was not supposed to have to begin with, but I was an honorable person and it stayed with me, uh-huh. he would be squeaking over on the other side of the chat room. Squeak, squeak, squeak. So that's where the squeak came that's from. Right. Walden is the squeaker. I'm a squeaker. Yes, you are the squeaker. Yeah. Well, anyway, I hope people enjoyed the convention last week. I hope everybody enjoyed Patricia's part in it. She bailed out the Saturday Night Variety Show. So thank you for doing that, Patricia. Well, you're very welcome. I'm glad I could do it. You, I did it on Friday. You did I was, it. You, I was all of 12 hours ahead of schedule. <laughs> well, Brian handed the script in Saturday morning. So they looked Good it over. Deal. Yeah. Hey, time, you know, we, we were timely. We were timely. <laughs> and trimmed a little bit and... Kind of mushed it a little bit, and Larry sent, by the way, I did not tell you, and thank you, Larry, for doing this. I sent him an email. But on some of the scripts, Mm -hmm. he had already clipped out for me what needed to be transcribed into script form. I did not have to wade through 30 minutes of a show. He did it for me. Nice. It was very nice, and thank you 14 times, Larry. 
because I'd still be typing. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready yet? Oh. So that's so I. That? So that's what I have on that whole front. So you now you know what why we're there and this where and stuff like that too. Cool. Okay. Anything you want to talk about before we open the phone lines to the family? Well, just one thing. And by the way, yesterday was Earth Day. So I thought it would be really nice to say Happy Earth Day. I love our Earth. And um, it was also National Jelly Bean Day, which I thought you would like. Anyway, we do have a theme for tonight. Wait a minute. Wait. Uh, I'll take the jelly bean. Yeah, I know you would. Yeah, okay. That's why I, that's why I said it. But Perfect. it was Friday. Friday was Jelly Bean Day. I like jelly beans. I don't know where they get some of these things. I really don't. They it's go, 23rd. They go to the jelly... Which is... Yeah. Yeah, that's today, right? Yeah. Yeah, the 23rd. Yeah. Is World Laboratory Day. Ah. Now, you know, I love my lab people. (laughs) (laughs) World Laboratory Day seems a little peculiar to put on the list. Anyway, we do have a theme for tonight, and it is, honest to goodness, old-time radio. You cannot talk about your favorite sandwich. Well, you can, but that's just not the theme. On Saturday nights, four Saturday nights, Friday nights, not Saturday nights, I think I'd better go to bed, okay? Just remind I'll talk to you. Just, I'll rem- talk to you later. <laughs> Just remind everybody, Patricia has a special guest three weeks from tonight. She'll be interviewing my cousin. Uh, John Wilder has a brand new book out. And if you want to know who John Wilder is, he was the creator, director, writer for the Street of San Francisco for Carl Malden. Uh, had 15 different roles in the old-time radio days. Had, did a lot of movies in the 50s with Tony Tindy, with, with Doris Day and others. Um, he wrote Mixner's famous TV series, Centennial, that took two years. So he produced 27 hours of primetime TV as a series. And he has a brand new mystery book. And so Patricia and I are going to enjoy him on Saturday night, May the 14th. And it'll be live, so you can talk to my cousin. So there. Now, when we open the phones and wait for a call, yes, you can tell people why he's your cousin. That's true. Well, not why. I mean, you don't have to explain. <laughs> how about how he's... I think I'd better go to bed. <laughs> We're gonna, well, never mind. We'll, we'll just have a very interesting show. That's true. People, e- people can laugh at me all night long. <laughs> <laughs> this is good. I'm supposed to... What, what were my choices? Charming? Charming. Um, bright. Um, some other. I'll take charming. It's okay. Charming. Don't struggle. I'll it, take charming. It, 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 I had three choices, and I picked one of them, but I think it was charming, so... That's okay. I'll be charming tonight. Have have have, have you told your sister her 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 theme song yet? No. <laughs> that was a yes no question, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> or was it? No, that was. So I thought I'm very okay. I'm very eclectic of you to say that. <laughs> no. <laughs> the answer is no. We we will discuss it maybe later. <laughs> It, okay. it, it's it's so interesting to have listeners who listen to us on a delay basis. You get the yeah, and and they listen. I, I mean, know. This is just, 
it is so much fun to know that we have people out there who actually spend time with us. And gosh, I'm just so grateful that they do. It's not necessarily, I mean, time is the best, that, that's a gift. That's the, the most valuable thing we have. Mm-hmm. We can't do anything, anything for anybody, for ourselves without time. And people choose to spend some of it with us. And I just think that's wonderful. Perfect. Now I'll tell you what the theme is. Yes, my dear. Maybe. Okay. 714. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You do that and I'll do the theme. Okay. I better put the phone on the hook if I'm going to give the number or should I give the number and just wait on the hook? Um, let, me, let me do the theme and then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> How's that? That is perfect. Okay. I started to say and I messed up. I pick what I think are really awful shows to play on Friday nights. And that's 10 p.m. Eastern in case you've missed it. They're really terrible shows. So I'm curious what our listeners have heard that they think are the weirdest or the worst shows they've ever listened to. Weirdest or worst. Or anything else on the wrong end. Wow. Yeah, I was in just deep thought, my dear, trying to browse through the radio index in my head. So so many to choose from, so little time. Mm-hmm. But there really are. It, it's really surprised me how many bad things I can come across that made it to the microphone. So why... Have, I mean, some of them were, were local, and some of them were beginning shows for many of the actors, but that doesn't make them any less awful. It might explain some of it, but it doesn't make them less less awful. So why do you think we got so many preserved? Um, actually, I don't think we do. I, I find many of these in the collections that have just one or two shows. Mm-hmm. So they really weren't saved, for example, like Escape or... Um, Paladin, you know, have gun will travel. Mm-hmm. There, there just is no regularity. So, um, I just happen to sniff out the ones that are kind of stray puppies out there. And then, of course, we have others that aren't stray puppies oh. that are are really terrible. I listened to Crime Club this week. And well, <laughs> the scripts were strange because unless I really concentrated. I couldn't keep the people straight. They had more characters in there mm-hmm. than a bowl of jelly beans. Since it was jelly bean day yesterday. And it could be just the three or four that I happen to pick randomly, as happens Duh. sometimes. But my goodness, the, the conclusions were strange. The people were strange. Well, of course, it was Crown Club. Don't, don't you think I it's an interesting that... I always thought it was sort of an interesting... Similarity between Mysterious Traveler and Crime Club, the way they sort of had the opening type of host kind of thing. Yeah, but a lot of the shows did that. I think Mysterious Traveler was a pretty high quality show, in my eyes, anyway. Interesting. It, it might not have made the top ten in anybody's yeah. list, but I enjoy that show. I always consider it as a B level show. Yeah, I think so, uh-huh. and I and I like B. It. It was similar to The Whistler. Mm-hmm. There were some strange endings in Mysterious Traveler, 
as you would with the Whistler. Do you like the yes. Mysterious Travel better than the Whistler? Yeah. Ah. I, I'll have to explain that. Do you want me to explain it? Of course. I'm holding my breath. Okay. The opening of the Whistler with the whistling, and it's not the only show that whistles, gives me the creeps, and I just don't even want to listen to it. The quality of writing, the quality of acting, the quality of the shows and the script, just everything is good about that program. I have a hard time getting past the whistle. If I tune in and the show has already started, I'm fine with that. But I hear that whistle, and I just can't stay. So, so help me understand. So, my brain so, so you're not a fan of Dorothy Roberts? No, I guess not. Ah. She was a great whistler. Yeah, she was a secretary who could do a three-octave whistle. <sighs> Can you whistle? No, I cannot. I cannot either. Am I deficient? I am. I used to be able to whistle through my teeth. You want to try? No, you, you I'll want, do it now. You want to try now? No. <laughs> I'm going to be in enough trouble without doing stuff like that tonight. So anyway, yesterday was Girl Scout Leader Day and National Jelly Bean Day. But today, mm -hmm. in addition to World Laboratory Day, Take a Chance Day, and National Zucchini Day, mm -hmm. is Lover's Day. What kind of day? Lover. L-O-V-E-R. Lover's Day. Ah. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Lover's Day is different from Valentine's Day? Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes you're obligated to to give a Valentine's gift. You know, if you want to stay out of trouble. Like, you give you, you know? <laughs> uh, it, it just happens that way sometimes if you misjudge. And the guys are really on the hook for this kind of stuff. Women give a lot of Valentine gifts now, which breaks from early tradition. But the guys really take heat on this. If you show up with a necklace, they want a bracelet. If you show up with a bracelet, they wanted candy. If you show up with candy, they wanted flowers. I, mean, I think we just better cross X's off some of these holidays and go out and have dinner together. Okay, so what what holiday should we keep? And which one would you which, what holiday should we keep and which one would we set aside? Maybe that's a good theme question too. I know. I would keep Christmas. Yeah. And Christmas. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, Christmas. What a, sorry. This is, you're a holiday kid. I I'm am. not much of a holiday kid. I really love Christmas, but I'm not much of a holiday kid. What, well, what, wait a minute. I'm surprised. What would you uh, be willing to surrender? I, I'm surprised you didn't, you didn't name number two. Which is? You are such a patriotic soul. I thought you at least have kept the voice of July. Well, that's in my heart. I don't think we need a special day for that. But, yeah, you're right. You're right. Besides, the Constitution was signed on the 2nd, not the 4th. I know. I know. How, how, could, how did we wind up with the 4th? Uh, well, that was the day it was distributed it? and people started signing. That's, that's what it was. You don't think it distributed you, on the 4th. You don't think hmm? it was the Hallmark people that lobbied? <laughs> <laughs> I think the Hallmark people invented three-quarters of what we've got. Um like, we really do have some unusual, what they claim are holidays, you know. Yeah, 
I, I, I would think we would want to keep Memorial Day. That's, that's pretty sacred. Yeah, oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, yes. That's that's a, a, a given. And yeah. November 11th. And Thanksgiving. Day. Yeah, Veterans Day and Thanksgiving. I think those five for sure. I'd be willing to surrender Thanksgiving as long as I had my turkey. I don't know. I think, you know, you sort of go back to our founding fathers and everything else. See, I would be willing to give up Labor Day. Me too. You know, so I'll be willing okay, to give up. we've got one. What about Valentine's Day? Well, it's really Can not. without that? It's really not a holiday. It's just a day on a calendar kind of thing. That's true. That's true. It's a now, now see, I, I didn't like giving up. George and a birthday. I, I'm, I. Oh, nor did I. You know that that bugs. Nor did I. That bugs me even till today. Mm-hmm. I, I, I agree. I, I rather give up present day, and or I'll swap it. I'll give you present day and give me George and a birthday back. You know, I just agreed. You know, I, I 100% agree. So, and mm-hmm. I would like to celebrate the dates on the dates. Yep. George Washington was February 22nd. I don't want it on a Monday. I want it on February 22nd. And if the 22nd falls on a Monday, that's wonderful. And Abe was on the 12th. His birthday was the 22nd. And Abe was the 12th? 12th. Is that correct? Uh Uh-huh. 12th, yeah. Oh, well. Is there anybody out there? Well, I haven't opened the phones yet. So I haven't. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, gee. Oh, gee, folks. You know. I'm sorry. So, see, I guess I'm not willing to give up most of my holiday. I, I'll keep the eight. I guess I'll keep most of the eight we got. But, you know. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll keep Christmas and the 4th of July and Memorial Day and Veterans Day. All right. Phones are open, everybody. 714-545-2071. Please give us a call. You haven't heard Patricia on Saturday night in two weeks. So, this is her number. The phone's I've got two weeks worth of stuff all built up. No wonder I messed up Perfect, tonight. perfect. I do, have one, I do have one alert. And hold on, caller, one second. At yesterdayusa.com, the red network and the blue network each have two links. If one doesn't work, try the other. I'm realizing that some folks go up there and they click and say, oh, I can't hear anything, and just overlook that there are two links. So that's just a reminder. Amen. The end. Who's there? Hello there. You're on the air. Just go to the backup link and don't bother with the first one. <laughs> what? That's Dave giving you a bad what? time. <laughs> this is my New York. What? what? Hello. boo. <laughs> <laughs> We're having a grand night. How are you, Dave? This is Rhode Island? It's not, yeah, let me look. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it, it, no, it is? No, really? Sounds like you're a little bit off your sauce today. Huh? What's going on? Um, off it or what, on it? Listening too many crummy radio shows? Is that your problem? <laughs> okay, right. Have, do you have a crummy radio show to nominate? Yeah, it's on Saturday mornings in Massachusetts. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Saturday night, Mama. <laughs> no. I want to know if you listen to the whole show, or these shows that you don't like, do you listen to all of it? At least twice. Do you really? Yes, I do. <laughs> I so do. when did you first well, realize you were a sadist, a masochist? No, I'm very responsible. 
Why, why would you? Oh, my Lord. Well, because I, I don't say, here is an awful show. I go back and I say, here's why I think it's an awful show, and here's information about the actors who should have known better, <laughs> that kind of oh, stuff. Oh, I see, yeah. So, yeah, I, so it, it's, yeah, it's a little bit more than just choosing a show, and I try to do the right thing. These actors that want to earn a living, shame on them. I know. I tried. <laughs> I had a good time with you last week. Oh, thank you. Can we clarify that? Because I don't want to... <laughs> I mean, you're the only woman I've probably in my life that's ever said that to me, so I appreciate it. Oh, you're, but... you're so welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Dave invited me, and I accepted and had a wonderful time with a guest on his show a week ago. And yeah. it was in the morning. Yeah, it was Eastern did time. really well. I mean, I, yeah, I you... had even gotten a couple of hours sleep, so I was awake and understood what you were talking about and telling me, but I did have a good well, that works Thank you good. for inviting me. You're, you're very welcome. That works out good because my audience usually catches a nap during the show, too, so that all works uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, well, well. We have been known to put people to sleep. They'll call and say, I missed the last hour I fell asleep. Everybody's rested. Well, I had a good time, and we went all over the place with Topic. Oh my gosh, did we ever? Yeah, we had a great time. We did talk about Walden, but we won't mention that now. No, and Larry and John. <sighs> yeah, I know. Yeah, well, it was my only chance to get back at them. You know. And they weren't listening, were they? Were you? Oh, Walden? Of course not. They had a real life. They had. They went and did something. You know, you and I would have. We have did something. We, you know, we would have been waiting for a bus. So many bus. things. Well, yeah, may, no. may 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 I do something? Yes. Why, certainly. It's your microphone, and you've got all the buttons. You can do whatever you want. Dave, you owe Patricia a nickel. Why? What? I do? Why? You two talked about it. You owe her a nickel. We talked about a nickel. Mm-hmm. I bet him a nickel for something? Yes, you two bet a nickel. Yeah. And what was, what was the bet? Coin. If I say I bet you a nickel, what did I bet? You two don't know what you bet? We forgot all Okay, you two are sitting down, right? Yeah, he owes me, and he doesn't even remember. What? No, that's right. Marshall dies, born in 1935, killed in 1982, hit on accident uh, oh, in Hawaii. about Marshall? <laughs> <laughs> A comedy, comedy album based out of Maine. Comedy uh, album came out in uh-huh. 1958. You owe Patricia a See, Why? what he did, Patricia, was he listened to the archive program. He listened to the show. And he found, when you and I were talking about Marshall Dodge, remember? The guy called up. Oh, and yes. You were talking about him. And I never heard the name before. Neither did I. And we were going to ask Walden if he knew. And you bet me. I think I bet you a nickel that he wouldn't know. That's right. Oh, I remember now. So Thank you, Walden. So you, Dave owes you a nickel. I'll send him my address. Now, did you go look it up after you heard that on the air, Walden? Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> the show came out on Tuesday, so I doubt I stayed up all night for three hours to see what you did plotted, the, oh, plotted and I looked it up. <laughs> so it is. This is this is not good. I owe him a nickel. No, no, no. no, he no. Didn't, you looked he, it up. You didn't I bet, know. I bet you a nickel that Walden would not know. I know, and he didn't. He had to look it up. Well, he, so I, I bet he cheated. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'll split it this with you. I'll send you two and a half cents. We'll split the difference. <laughs> That'll work. <laughs> oh, my heavens. That is amazing. I, I See, he listened to the show. So he heard everything we said about him. So now I'm supposed to still talking to us. Yeah, after horrible stuff we said. Well, you know, you know, I, I have to protect my turf once in a while. I know. Well, you. <laughs> this was this was Dave's turf. Uh, uh, but I, Walden, you didn't you didn't know that at all, did you? No, I did and not. I I have, I never heard of him. I never did. And then when I, once I told you to start betting, and Nick, I said I better go find out. So I went. <laughs> And the he guy tried this, to protect me, and you didn't. And, and, I owe him the nickel. And, and, and Marshall Dodge has a Wikipedia page. That's how come I found out. Yeah, well, let me no too. That, I went and looked it up. Yeah, I went and looked it up, too. And I, oh, listen, the pebble down the street has a Wikipedia page. You and I do But that. isn't it interesting, though, that, that he wasn't that far back. I think that's what, you know, it made it. Bruce, who called, right. made it sound like the guy was, you know, way back. I'm thinking, God, the Marshall Dodge. Well, 1958, that's when the album yeah, came out. Yeah, that's not that far back. Yeah, yeah, that's not that far back. You know. That's why, I don't know why I didn't hear of him before. I never, I never heard well, him. Maine, you know, Maine a long way away from Rhode Island, right? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, but that's not, and I heard Al Jolson, and he was further away than that, so, you know. Uh, anyway, okay. But listen, guys, right, I'm going to run let you get on with the real show. But I just wanted to. No, say I, I have. I have one question. You you mentioned Al Jolson's name. On a scale of one to ten, ten being best, one being a candidate for my awful show. Where does Al Jolson fit in there? Um. In your opinion. Uh, then I'll and then I have a follow. I have a follow up question for Dave. Then. As as a performer. Yeah. Or as. Yeah. Oh, I you got. I don't know very much about his personal life. Yeah. You got Yeah, you got to give him a nine. Easy. Absolutely, you got to. So, Especially in the time a, that he was famous, he was really famous. All right, Dave, who is the greatest entertainer of all time? Oh, oh I'm still waiting for my one to ten. Okay, you can. I'll give I gave you. I told you a nine. I gave him a. Oh, a nine. I'm wow. sorry, I missed it. I'll, I'll, yep. I apologize, Colin. Your turn. The greatest entertainer yep. of all time in Dave's book. Oh, I don't know, man. It's it's too tough. It's too tough. You know, I, I, I don't understand sometimes how they compare talents. You know, I mean, you're talking about singing, you're talking about dancing, you're talking about somebody doing yeah. the ball. I agree. Median. It's very tough to, to say the greatest of all time. Um, I can't think. Okay, okay, let me ask you this anyway. way. Who would you, who would you have paid to go see? Me? Yep. Oh, um. I would have paid to see Jolson since he came up because he was supposed to be so dynamic. And of course, I've never seen him in person. Right. Uh, I would have liked to have seen him in person, certainly. Uh, I would have liked to have seen um, Jack Benny's one-man show, mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, uh, I saw Perry Como. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think probably somebody like Jolson. I mean, I'm sure I'm going to hang up and go, oh, I should have mentioned so-and-so. But yeah, I'm going to hold for Jolson just because since we mentioned him, I think he's a good, he's somebody I would have liked to have seen. You mentioned him. <laughs> now, now, you and I are going to have another problem, Patricia, because I'm Didn't still... Didn't know we had one to be <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm, I'm still trying to find him. Oh, 
Okay, what's our other problem? Or Stan Freeberg. I'm still trying to forgive you for Stan Freeberg. Oh, what will you hear about Al Jolson? <laughs> <laughs> you haven't lived yet. Oh, <laughs> uh, so so I so I I oh my gosh yeah, is there yeah, I guess we have I guess we have two problems to discuss. <laughs> Um, no, I I ain't heard nothing yet. Is that what you're gonna tell me? <laughs> you're pretty close. Yeah, Stan Freeberg. I I just you know humor is so individual, and his just never hit me right. Yeah. Well, if you'd have heard yeah. what you talked about him, he'd have hit you. <laughs> yeah. Well. <laughs> yeah. Well. How did you know I did that? Did you hear that? Of course, I heard. I heard the, the aftermath. I heard uh, Larry and John lamenting it. Sure, of course. Uh huh. Okay. I didn't disagree okay. with the with the particular show you talked about. I agreed. It was kind of, it was not great, but it, and it, it was messed up. Yeah, it was messy. That's when. Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, it, it was a messy show, and again, there are an awful lot of programs out there that have individual bad shows and it's the individual shows not the program itself that I pick on and so that show just really set my teeth on edge yeah but you're not a big Stan Freeberg fan anyway not not in radio entertainment I thought the guy was an absolute genius in advertising there will never be another Stan Freeberg in the advertising medium but when it came to entertainment and his humor, his humor was offbeat, and I think you have to be tuned in to that particular wavelength anywhere and in humor. I mean, there's some ever, people who think he was the worst thing that ever hit radio, and of course he wasn't. But you have to be tuned into that wavelength, and I'm not. Did you ever listen to uh, Stan Freeberg salute the United States of America? Oh boy. <laughs> Oh boy! Okay, I'm gonna have. Yeah, I you know, I want you That's to, on sacred ground for Patricia. I want yeah. you to Google it. It's Stan Freeberg salutes the United States of America with an album he put out saluting the founding of America, and I think you'll like it. I think you'll be very impressed with the music and the lyrics and the shtick. I think you'll like it. Time magazine put out a statement that it was the finest and the funniest album that ever hit the world. Time Magazine. There you go. Ask me what I think of it. Of Time Magazine? (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) No. I mean, I'm I'm just, oh, gosh. Okay. Okay, give me an awful show. Give me a really terrible show. The weirdest, the worst, whatever that you've ever heard. Um, Besides me, I th- I think the thing I think the one that I called you about. Remember, I called you to was it the rest of the story? Either that or the or the one about the golden door, the, the, or the, the 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 golden key, the golden door. Do you know what I'm talking about? I don't. Walden probably does. You know, when I'm you say the rest of the story, I think of Paul Harvey. That's not what you're thinking. No, right? no, 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 no. This was this was. No, it, it was it was a whole drama, and then the announce would say, "And now the rest of the story, <laughs> or the story behind the story." 
I had called you about it because it was so bad. I said, have you heard this thing? <laughs> and, and I directed you to it. And I think actually you found it. I don't I, and then there was oh my other, gosh. Well, then I have to go to bed. Um, <laughs> Walden, can you help me find what Dave is talking about? Well, I, I bet I bet uh, Jim and Ron can all figure this out. I bet we can figure this out. Okay. okay. We okay. can figure this I, out. Right. Obviously, I need to listen to that. Yes. Yeah, and, and the other one was behind the gold door or behind the big door or something like that. It was very weird. Um, and that was one of the ones I think you, you put up. But I can't remember what they called it. See, I think I, you guys go, huh? I, 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 I think you know a lot of lights out stories are weird. You know, I mean that's yeah. You know, I, I don't always figure that one out either. So, I, well, I remember listening to those in my bed under the cover. <laughs> wow! Oh my God! I had a good time with you, Dave. <laughs> wow! A good what? I said I had a good time with you. Oh, thank you. Like I said, <laughs> improving my image. Thank you. All right. It was non-secular. Or maybe it wasn't. All right. God bless you. Good night. Oh, Good night. Thank you, Dave. Bye-bye. Good night. Good night. 714-545-2071. Yeah, Patricia's appearance is up online. As you go to www.wararadio.com. Click on Show, click on Kane Company. You can click on April 16th and download it, and there's Patricia for three hours. And I listened to it. Hours. And that was my day off. I know. I, I guess. And they got me. You didn't stay up. You you, you took a nap before you got, we did I that did. show. Well, it, it wasn't 8 o'clock this time. It was 9 o'clock this time. And Dave said he didn't want me to have withdrawal symptoms, so I got to get out and... Play on his radio show that day. Hello there, Carl. You're on the air. So our little bird is branching out. I know. She, I tell you. She's a star. When she, she was just Pat calling in. She, she's a star. Her, her, in, her international status has gone beyond me. <laughs> That's she's right. She's gone beyond international. <laughs> <laughs> We're in the universe now. That's right. You know, she yeah. she knew us. She knew us when, Dan. What can I say? She knew us. That's right. She knew us just when. That's right. You know, she may be she may be the straw that stirs the drink, but I do know this: their drinks are involved. I think. Well, you know, she at the. Oh, she, see, she, I need to go to bed, don't she, I? She she, <laughs> she she at the he she at the modern day Barbara Barbara Wawa. You know, remember how? <laughs> How Hillary Kissinger used to call her Barbara Wawa. So that's, that's right. Patricia. Exactly. Yep. Maybe we, do we do that as your last name, Patricia Wawa? <laughs> <laughs> I think you ought to go to bed. <laughs> 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 We're going to have a silly show tonight. I am so pooped, and I get silly when I get pooped. That's good. So. That's good. It's good for our ladies. Better start it's those recordings. Yes. yes, Patricia trips over everything. Yeah. So, how are you? This is Indiana calling. That's right, Indiana calling. We kicked off the Derby Festival tonight with a huge thunder over Louisville fireworks, right in the oh middle of the Ohio River. So, you have tickets for Patricia and I in two weeks. Say what now? You have you have our box seat at the Derby in two weeks or not? 
Uh, I can get you a box. You can sit out there by the derby, yes. A milk crate, right? <laughs> we can have a box seat. Um, That's right. Serious question. You told us in different times that Queen Elizabeth showed up for the derby, or as they would say in Britain, the derby. Yeah. Is that was that a one time only, or is it likely that she might return now that it's her birthday even? Uh, as far as I know, she's only been to the Derby once. I, you know, she's been queen for what now, uh, six years. She, she could have she, been here. Marking her, her birthday this week marked that she is now the longest reigning monarch England ever had, or Great Britain uh, ever had. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. She's she been 64 years, 65 uh-huh. years. 64 years she's done, she's been the queen. That's, that's, that's a good run. And she's only 90. So and she is just remarkable. So I think she's she, I think she should go for 75 years. So I'd give it to 101. I, I would yes. do that. I would do that. That woman has, has fortitude and she's just a remarkable lady and I admire her so much. Can you imagine? She come to the Derby. Can you imagine right. if she ever sat down and write her autobiography? You think, you think I can't live that long? <laughs> I mean, think about it. She was under jeeps in World War Two, for I, goodness' sake. I know. How could you possibly? They'd have to do it in semi-decade increments, five-year increments for her life. I mean, you think it would have, Churchill it would have to be like tones. volumes. You think, you think she actually has a, um, you know, like a log of all her activity? Can you imagine the log of her reign, the, all the events she had to attend in 64 years? The North Tower is full, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, my goodness. Now, that, we had no computers. We had paper. When she started her monarchy, mm-hmm. and so everything from pre-computer and probably all along, because we're talking invitations and hand-graved messages, mm-hmm. so everything is in paper. How do you preserve something like that? Well, they we can... have they have the means to do that. I mean, uh, they uh, had Princess Diana's dress. Here at the Fraser Museum, oh, it's been a couple years ago, and they they have, I think, one or two people who just tend to the dress, even though no one's worn the dress since the wedding. Yeah, but it's a piece of and, British history. Oh, it is. It is. Okay, so you have two people per dress, and we've got 64 years of Queen Elizabeth's materials. How many people do you put on that, and where do you store them? Offhand, I could not tell you. Now, if you, have, do, you have, do you have anything in your archives that would be considered an old treasure? For example, something from the 1700s or 1800s? Well, we have a top hat from 1850. I was thinking more in terms of library <laughs> materials <laughs> like a book. Um, and I came across a couple of books that, wow, H.G. Wells 
an original set and signed by H.G. Wells, and the thing went for nickels as far as I was concerned. But anyway, mm-hmm. how? maybe a better question is, if you had a treasure like that, what would be your first move in preserving it? I would get an acid-free box, an acid-free paper, and probably wrap it in the acid-free paper and then put it in the acid-free box and then store it in a uh, cool area. Mm-hmm. Now, in the 1800s, we didn't have to worry about the deterioration of paper as happened after World War II when things turned brittle because it had substances in there. Um, mm-hmm. But how, how would you display something like that? It always breaks my heart when we have treasures like that, and in order to preserve them, we have to keep them from people who might enjoy looking at them. Uh, it, it's a terrible choice. If you bring them out and you put them in front of people, you contribute to its deterioration, and if you don't, then what good is it? Well, there, today I would say make a copy of whatever you want to display. I mean, they're color. I want the real thing. You want the real thing? Well, I mean, you know, you could put something out, and you know, uh, if you put something out in a plexiglass box, mm-hmm. uh, you know, plexiglass. Yeah, that would be fine. You know, there, plexiglass has a natural, uh, um, built-in, uh, somewhat of a protection for UV, uh, you know, light. Yeah. So it wouldn't damage it as much. So uh, that's something to consider. Um, I saw a film clip the other day of two treasures. Now, one of them was from Walt Whitman, and it went to each each person had written a book, and they traded. They they signed it and said, here to my dear friend Walt Whitman and whatever Walt Whitman, and they traded. Mm-hmm. And so it really is a historic treasure when you get both of these things in the same place at the same time. And I was absolutely horrified. Here is the historian and keeper of these treasures, and he's got no gloves, and he's, you know, he might as well be licking his fingers while he's thumbing <laughs> through this. And I thought, there's something wrong with this picture. Usually you want to use white cotton gloves when you're handling yes. something. Yes. Uh-huh. Boy, I'm stupid, and even I know that. <laughs> I think it's there he was with his happy little fingers just kind of and look at here in the fly leaf look at over here my word I think it's I, mean, ama- I think it's pretty incredible if you think about it in 1947 that we had the freedom train that carried our government documentations and yes. the American people got to see it mm-hmm. um, and kids learned about it in school right yep we ought to we ought to have that again. I think so, too. And I also remember yeah. about 10 years ago, I don't know if this was a traveling thing, but the Smithsonian Institute put a hundred item as a traveling exhibit. And that came mm-hmm. to L.A. and different places. And I imagine it went to other cities. But Now, that's a gift. Yes. And was it an only time? They never did it again? I've never heard of it, really. Uh you know, it had something from Lincoln and something from this and something, and wow. and, and it had it circling. It, it sort of also reminds me a little bit in the mid seventies. Uh, it would you, you guys might remember that rings a bell, the King Tut exhibit. Oh gosh, yes. And that was a big deal. I mean, we we had to order tickets long advance, and uh, we went, and that's sort of right after off my site. So it was the first time I ever had an audio tour. 
and I was and I still remember things from that, and most of my family yeah. remember don't remember it from nineteen seventy six. Was that in 76 or 77? 76 or so. I think it probably traveled around different parts of the country. But I, I remember. And so she thinks about that. Um, here in San Diego, we went a couple of years ago. We went to uh, a Norman Rockwell exhibit. They they took Norman's famous paintings and have them in a uh, museum. So you can uh-huh. see, see the... Uh, the Four Freedoms and the Boy Scouts, everything that, you know, the Saturday night uh, yeah. posts they had on display. But you, you don't see that, like a freedom train, those kinds of concepts too often, really, anymore. Or at least <coughs> they're not publicized. If they, Indiana, Indiana has had a um, uh, history train that's going around to different locations throughout the state. Mm. Uh, the trouble with the train concept is, they have to get permission to run the train on, you know, the tracks. And, you know, there's different, oh, yes. you know, legal troubles when you mm-hmm. take a train down a certain track. So what the Indiana Historical Society is doing, they're going to do that same concept, but they're going to put on a, a semi, you know, have like a semi truck mm-hmm. bringing around these, you know, history yeah. documents and One of archives. the things that strikes me about what, you and Walden are talking about, and we're talking years ago, Walden, I don't know, 76, you said, with yeah. the King Tut right. traveling right. Um, exhibit. Right. You could get to the exhibits more easily than you can today. Where would you stop in Los Angeles that a whole gang of people could show up and just appreciate this? Well, they had it in one of the museums, one of the famous L.A. museums. Uh, yeah, but is. How how much time and, and how difficult is it for people to get there? I mean, if, if I lived, I mean, you have to smack me upside the head each time I say, I mean. Um, if I lived in the L.A. area, I don't think I would brave what I'd have to brave in order to get where I had to go to visit one of these exhibits. Here's a here's a unique concept that happened a few years ago. Mm-hmm. There was a, a book published called Always a River, and I believe it was, I think it was the Indiana Historical Society, maybe the Ohio Historical Society. Uh, a group was formed, and they made um, an Always a, a River uh, barge that went up and down the Ohio River. Same hmm. concept. It, and people were allowed on it, I hope. Mm-hmm. Yep, it stopped at different river ports, and you know it would be, you know, in you know, Louisville for a couple of days, and it would go down to uh, city or someplace. Yeah, it was a great concept. See, my problem with the exhibit, it doesn't get to small town America. You know, it's, it's, I know, and that bothers uh, me a little bit because it we all are citizens. We all should have the ability to see these things. It's not, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to go. L.A. and New York and yeah. Chicago. Oh, sure. Right. Yes. It would never come to Fort Myers. It might go to Miami. Yeah. But it would never come here. It might go to Tampa, but it would never come here. Mm-hmm. And that's really a shame. Where, where do you park for something like this? You have to go by car for the most mm-hmm. part, un- unless you live close to public transportation that will deliver you within walking distance of one of these. Mm-hmm. And you're right. It's only a fraction, a teeny fraction, of 
the people who are who can access this easily. Mm-hmm. And that's really a shame. Well, that's why I think well, it's so important now. And I know uh, this with this, the tug of war with the radio, the radio um, cast force here, and they they had a big seminar at the Library of Congress about the history of radio here in February, and mm-hmm. they're having to struggle. A lot of people like to make all the audio recordings available, the Library of Congress, everybody online, but some of these archivists are hesitant because their jobs are based upon attracting people to come to the brick-and-mortar building. So they're they're worried about if they make it available online, then what's going to happen to their job because, you know, that's what people come. And I think that's too bad that we have to... Because to me, yeah. so many of us, you know, how many people are going to spend thousands of dollars to go down to the library to listen to a half-hour radio show or something that's locked up? Yeah. You know? That's really interesting. What kind of information do the radio archivists give when they present something like this? Or do they? They did. And Martin Graham, if you go to his blog spot, wrote a seven-page mm-hmm. page summary of the exhibit because he and Jack Brent attended it, and, mm-hmm. uh... Is this a permanent exhibit? Uh, no, this was just a task force. This brand new, where you have all these academics come together to talk about the yeah. radio collections around the country. Oh, man. I, I agree. What a choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My, my dad used to say, you can work yourself out of a job. Mm-hmm. And that sounds like you know. And you can you can work yourself into staying employment. where you are. <laughs> now the the worst thing a person can do in business is not train another person to do your job, because if you're the only one to do it, you're never going to get promoted. Mm-hmm. It, it just seemed to me That's my the, wisdom for tonight. It just it just seemed <laughs> to end. me. It just seemed to me that these are national treasures that people, the American public, have access to, should have access I to. I agree. I agree, and I'm I'm really sad. I I can't imagine someone having to surrender his job because this material is made available. Well, that's what they're afraid of. That's what a lot of them are afraid of. And I I can understand why, but that kind of insecurity seems a little misplaced to me because people like you, people like me, we would go to an exhibit like that. Yes. We have all sorts of old time radio shows available to us. But that would be special. It was interesting. Ken Goff is working in the Henry Ford Museum up in Michigan. There are many things in there that we can read about in other places. We can't you know, physically put our hands on them. But the museum is there, and people flock to it because they get information. They get to see things. They get to hear things. Why wouldn't it be the same for radio? Well, it's interesting. It, the, the same struggle happening with the Bob Dylan collection. I guess uh-huh. he, I guess he sold his private music collection to uh, one of the schools in Kansas City, Kansas City, Missouri. And he looked through the the article. The main attraction why they put up the money because they want people to travel to visit the archives. I never well, thought of. Fun. I never thought about that. Is that. Why would they invest that kind of money? Because they want people to come to them. And, and, and of course, they would charge for right. people to get in. Now, that's a single performer 
who is internationally known. I mean, Bob Dylan is a special guy, whether you like it as music or not. Mm -hmm. He is one cool guy. I can understand that. But when we're talking history, old-time radio is part of our history. How do you wrap history up and hide it in a box until you come to look at it? I agree with you. Dan, what do you think? Well, I think there, with old-time radio, you have the audio history that you know you you can pretty much put out there on the internet. People wouldn't have to come to listen to the 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 audio history. But with old-time radio, you could also build around you know like different types of you know, uh, radios and, you know, for different times mm-hmm. you could have, like, you know, you, you could have the physical, you know, uh, devices, you know, there. And, Agreed. You know, well, uh, even something like Silver McGee and Molly when we were in the World War II era, so many of the shows, whether they were devoted to the war effort or not, had to do with World War II, who was buying gas, who was surrendering a car. Silver and Molly cleaned out the closet and gave away their kitchen sink. Those kinds of scenes you can set up individually while those particular shows are playing. So you've got so many options or opportunities for variety and education. Wouldn't you you love to go to a radio museum that had a replica of Fibber McGee's closet where you would open the door and everything would fall out? Oh, of course. Of course, yes. I mean, absolutely yes. And their kitchen and how their home was envisioned uh, mm-hmm. with the writers. Um, I don't know. And, and I, I can, I'm on your side. Yeah, and, and, and see, I think it'd be fun. I think you guys struck the idea to create something like that for, that you could have the mortar. Mm-hmm. You have the racing yes. stamp. You have different things that uh, pertain to that period. So exactly. you're not trapping the show in some building that could be exactly. It, it could be exactly. a market. The, the show becomes part of right. the exhibit, and not the, show, the exhibit. Actually, the show could be easily a great marketing tool to say, "Hmm, that's a fun show," and look at the photo. I might next time I'm in town, I might want to go to visit this whole display. Sure. And you know, you could do it you could do it with other concepts too. Wouldn't you love to go see an actual recreation of Jack Benny's uh vault? Yes. You know, complete with the alligators and everything mm-hmm. else. You bet. Yes. You bet. I mean and what what better I mean ooh, hit me upside the head. There is there are few better opportunities to introduce people to this part of our history. When you make it entertaining and interesting, and you can relate it to something in an individual's life, it just works. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we've decided. We have to call Washington. <laughs> <laughs> well, then you're good at phone calls. All righty, we'll, like we'll get this done. Right. <laughs> so, Dan, are you on summer break? Where, where are you in your on your... Shift, are you getting close to seeing the end of the semester? Where, where are you right now? We are uh, leading into a week of study, and then we'll be leading into a week of finals. 
Holy cat, so just two How weeks away. How did you the library during the finals? I'm, I'm sorry? During the finals. I'm sorry, I tripped right onto Walden. How busy is the library during finals as opposed to the week before? We are pretty busy. We we had a lot of people in today studying. I mean, uh, you know, in one floor we probably had two dozen people. And, you know, today was a really pretty day here. It was like 72 degrees. And we had an air show for Thunder Over Louisville. We had a bunch of uh, old vintage aircraft flying over today. Wow. Um, I mean, it was, you know, that went on from 3 p.m. till right before the fireworks went off at 9 p.m. And, uh, you know, a lot of things going on right now leading into the Kentucky Derby. But, uh, yeah. you know, finals. What day is the Derby? First Derby. Saturday, May. May the 7th. Okay. Yeah, for, first Saturday in May. Uh, That's the day before Mother's Day. Yes, two weeks from today. So you can sing, Patricia, my old Kentucky home. <laughs> I'll start collecting now from our <laughs> listeners no, not to let me play. Yeah. Oh, gee. I, I wonder what Patricia will sound like if we get a couple of mint juleps down her. Probably like Lila Ransom. <laughs> well, I am perfectly sober and listen to me. Well, you know what I'm thinking of, Dan. You know what I'm thinking of, Dan. How how Patricia would root for a horse if she had, if we had two dollars? He said we put her on a horse and she got to root for him. How how do you think he would? How do you think he would be for that minute and two minutes? What do you think, Patricia? Could you could you root a horse? In, a horse? Oh my gosh, I can get so wound up about that stuff. Yes, I would be the spectacle of the joint. Okay, good. I really would. I, I just get. I get so excited about that stuff. I don't care if the poor little thing is still at the gate. I say, come on, you can do it. <laughs> I can do that, yeah. I could get excited about that. Now, you have to get me there first, of course, but other than that. Uh, Dan, what do you do on Derby Day? What do I do on Derby Day? Uh Usually, you know, things have changed over the years. Used to, we'd have family get together or go to a derby party and, uh, you know, watch the races. You know, uh, mm-hmm. have a cookout. You know, it would, it, you know, just a, a good family get together. Have you ever visited what about now? Do you still do that? I went to a derby party last year. A late. Uh, um, a lady invited me to the derby party. Yeah, we uh-huh. all kind of. You know, threw money in a hat, we picked horses, and whoever, you know, picked the winning horse got the money. Ah, so you, it, it really was left to chance. It wasn't that everyone was betting on the front runner. Yes, correct. Have you ever visited a racing farm like Calumet or one of those famous racing farms in Kentucky? Um, I have not been. Uh, I have a friend who... Uh, is a retired lawyer, and she has bought horses, and they're being trained by Calvin Burrell. Ah, who just retired? Who, who just retired? That's yes. Good, right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm really into this. I mean, I'm interested, but I'm not I, I'm not familiar with any of the people or the terms. Mm-hmm. Calvin Burrell was. Uh, oh gosh, which horse did he? Oh, he's, he won the Derby League three times in the last ten years or so. So he's yeah. wow. he's one of the local local favorite sons of Kentucky. Mm-hmm. I would think so. Yeah, he retired at forty nine, 
you know, when you're in your late 40s, uh, a spill off a horse could really uh, hurt you. Oh, my gosh. You know, your late 20s, you can kill yourself falling off a horse. But mm-hmm. the older you get, you're right, the more, the more dangerous it is. Okay, I have to go to our theme date, Dan. Yes, yes. What's our and we go to night? our theme. I, you know that I pick awful shows for Friday night. Yeah. So I want to you know, want weird or odd shows. Right. Weird, worst, oddball, just something off the wall that made you go, what? Yeah, and, and, one of those. And present, present company is accepted, I guess. <laughs> I certainly am. <laughs> I, I can never figure those things out. I mean, you listen to it, and there's not enough clues, and they come up with the the, uh-huh. the murder. You know why you can't figure it out? Why? Because they're stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I agree you... with you, one. I absolutely agree with you. They have got to be among the ridiculous. Maybe I could string a whole bunch of them together one night for a Friday night. What do you think? Uh, I them? think that's a great idea. Okay. That is a great suggestion, Dan. Okay, Dan. You really hit the mark on that one. <laughs> then my my question to you: What performer would you have paid money to go see? What performer would mm-hmm. I pay money? I did pay money to to go see a performer. It was a number of years ago. I I saw Eddie Carroll as Jack Benny. Ah. Yes. I think that was that'd like be a good in, choice. I'd have to look back and see just what year that was. 2005, something like that, probably. It, probably even before that. I think it was like 1999. Wow. Yeah, Eddie, Eddie did that for a long time. You're right. Mm-hmm. You're right. Okay, in, in terms of old-time radio itself, not a, a recreationist-type person where um, Eddie Carroll would turn into Jack Benny in front of our eyes, but... Actually, now Dave in Rhode Island said that Al, Al Jolson is someone he would pay to see or would have paid mm-hmm. to see or would pay to see, whatever. Mm-hmm. Pick somebody from old-time radio. Who would you who would you choose? Well, uh, before I do that, I want to mention one other pe- person I would like to see is, uh, is, it, is it, who is the fellow who does Groucho? Frank Ferrante. Okay. He's I very good. He's very good. Yeah, that you you would like to see him. Yes. Yes. But he is still touring, isn't he? Yep. Mostly on the West Coast. Yep. He's a, and also in Europe. Uh, so huh? he's, he's still a pretty young man. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, he's still a fairly young guy. You know, like late forties or so. Um. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's a kitty. Yeah, I know. Probably he's we should. That. We should probably have him on with Patricia one night and have him talk to Groucho. What do you think, Patricia? I would love to do that. <laughs> I'll be George Fenneman, and he could be Groucho. Or Georgette. Georgette Fenneman. He, he, can, in, he can insult with the best. He, he, Ferrante is very quick on the repartee. Good. 
this is a wonderful interview for you. <laughs> he, he can do Groucho and Patricia can do Margaret Dumont. That is true. All right, whatever. I'll be the duck. I can be the duck. Yes, I will be the duck. Yeah. I can do that. Okay, five-minute mysteries. And who would you pay to see from old-time radio? Jack Benny. Ah. Way to go. Good choice. Good choice. Good choice. Wow. Yeah. Okay, I have to let you go. Do you really? You're not going I... to let me mention you're not going to let me mention theme songs for Barbara? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a yes no question, was it not? <laughs> or was it? Hmm? Of course you may. My sister is Barbara. Yes. Yes. When Barbara called in the last time, we talked about the hijinks she was involved in when she was in high school. Yes. And one of them was that this was a brand new high school, by the way. This was the first time the high school opened was with her class coming in, of course, with other students. It was a brand new high school. They had installed a big fountain in front of the high school. And they turned the fountain on, and everything was dandy. And she and a couple of friends sneaked up there one night and poured Mr. Bubble in the fountain. And they sort of lost control of themselves. They didn't realize how bubbly Mr. Bubble could be. Mr. Bubble was bubble bath for kids. And two things happened. The first thing that happened is that they didn't know that they had filled the pond at that point with goldfish. So they killed all the goldfish. And she's Wallace still crying Wimple would, Wallace Wimple would be horrified. Yeah, well, I was too, and she was too. I mean, they, they just didn't know that there were fish in there. But the second thing that happened was that they put so much in that the bubbles were up to the second floor of the building, and they had to call the fire department to hose it down. Now, Dan, it's your turn. Well, I was thinking next time. Next time Barbara calls in, we'll have to play in the background uh, Tiny Bubbles. Is there anything that says Great Big Bubbles? Great Big Bubbles. I don't know. I don't know of any Great Big Bubbles songs. We'll, we'll yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll uh, settle for, for Tiny Bubbles. We, I will let her know that Tiny Bubbles is now her theme song. That's right. And she will be thrilled. Thank you for doing that. Oh, I'm sure. She needs her own theme song. I mean, you've got your theme song. Now she's got her own theme song. I thought it was so nice that Dave played Patricia's theme song when she was a guest on his show last week, too. Wow. Isn't that cool? Yeah. I am so spoiled. You guys all spoil me, and I love it. Thank you. Your theme song travels with you, even when you make guest appearances. I have it in my little backpack. You're right. You're right. I'm I'm stopping off in Dallas. Here's my song. Yes. <laughs> I'll have to uh, track down the uh, archive of that show. Uh-huh. Yeah. com. Click on show. Click on Kane and Company. And it's last Saturday, April the 16th. And it's all three hours of Patricia. And what was the uh, station again? W-A-R-A Radio. Okay. That'll be... That'll be a way to find and, it. And you can give a critique next week. That's right. That's right. Okay. Well, all thank right. you, Dan, and thank you for filling us in on the Derby and all sorts of neat things like that. Thank you. And the five-minute yeah. mysteries. 
this is a treasure. Thank you for suggesting that. Okay. Well, everybody have a good week now. You too, Dan. Thank you, Dan. You too. And be safe. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye-bye. Hmm? 714-545-2071. If you want to talk to Tiny Bubble Sister, you can at 714 714-545-2071. <laughs> <laughs> I had to go to bed. <laughs> Why not more? I mean, why not, you know... Do we have more than other countries? No, because they have mandatory laws in Europe, and they take six weeks off during the summer. Hmm. They they think we Americans just work too hard. That's true. In France, they get six weeks off vacation. Many of the other countries do, too. And they think we're nuts. I do, too. (laughs) I've had one week off. I want five more now. But, uh, paid, paid the, time I off. Mean, yeah, go ahead. If, if it falls, like, all my zeros. If, uh, if if King's or Washington's birthday falls on a Monday, well, it falls on a Monday. If it falls on a Friday, it falls on a Friday. And if it falls on a Saturday or Sunday, then maybe you can do it on Monday. Mm-hmm. But, I agree. Why, why can't we just I double? Why? If George Washington's birthday is on a Thursday. I think that's when we should. Celebrate it. Yeah, okay, but if it's on a weekend, can we just double dip it? Meaning, well, we get we can celebrate on a Sunday, Monday. You know. Well, I said if it falls, well, if it falls yeah, on a Sunday. I mean, that that way, I think some cookie fried chicken shows offer the uh, cherry pie for two days rather than just one. Yeah, then we have to send him to bed. <laughs> but uh, 
I told you I was real disillusioned when my, one of my aunts told me the cherry tree story was false because my first grade teacher told it to me. My second grade teacher told it to me. How did she know she was false? Well, because they don't have cherry trees in New York. Or Virginia. But he was in Virginia. He was I don't in know. Virginia. He was in I... Virginia. Oh. When he chopped down the cherry tree? He chopped it down, the story goes, and his father confronted him, and his fa- and he said to his father, I cannot tell a lie. I cut it. I cannot tell a lie, yes. And that, that was our object lesson for the day. Where did he, where did George Washington, did he really live in Virginia? Uh-huh. Yeah, he was born in Virginia. My, my ancestor bounced him on his knee. Okay. <laughs> If Walden ever gives us his family tree, we can come back in the year 2025. Well, wait a minute. To quote a record you don't like, the famous line, we came over on the main Yeah, I did. My family did. Yeah. Okay, now. Walden did, apparently. Yeah, I did. (laughs) Now, now, okay. Did did George really toss a silver dollar across the Potomac River? Of course not. What do you mean? And my favorite. I know how wide the Potomac River is. He couldn't get it off the shore. And my favorite too was always, did Davy Crockett really kill him a bar when he was only three? Or that's a good one. Or, or my one as one of my friends said, he always wondered, was Davy three or was the bear three? Oh, how clever! Imperfect language, imperfect modifiers. Oh my goodness, that's a good one. Or now, did he? Did, did you he, decide which it is? Did, did Davy really put a crack in the silver bell in the Liberty Bell? That patched it up. He did. He, he patched up the oh, crack in the Liberty yeah. Bell. Uh, and the answer is no. The thing is still cracked. But, uh, but. Uh, okay, Jim. You need to sing all thirty-five works of Davy Crockett for us right now. Are you serious? No. Okay. <laughs> Well, born on a mountaintop in Tennessee, green estate in the land of the free, raised in the woods so he knew every tree, killed him a bar when he was only three. Davy Crockett, Davy, Davy Crockett, king of the wild frontier. And I think the next one was in 1813, the creeks up rose. Uh, something about Indian fighting, something he knows. There was a line about, uh, there was a verse about uh, when he lost his love, his grief was taught, was gall. In his forest, he wanted to lose it all and lose himself in the forest hall, but he answered instead his country's call. There was a line about he, uh, he heard of Houston and Austin, and so to the Texas Plains he had to go. Uh, something about giving up his, you know, fighting for freedom at the Alamo. And I think the last line was his land is biggest, his land is best. From the grassy plains to the mountain crest, he's ahead of us all and meeting the test, following his legend into the West. Very Dave, good. Davy Crockett. Wow. Very good, Jim. There may have been some other verses, too, that I've forgotten. And you were only four years old when that song came yeah, out. Yeah, that's right. And according to Peter Modavin, the mm-hmm. Kitty Record King, I forgot how many versions of the Ballad of Davy Crockett were actually recorded. I think it was like 35 or 30 or something. Uh, the four big ones, the three big ones were Fess Parker, Bill Hay, and Tennessee Ernie Ford. Right. And Rusty Draper, I think. Uh, 
but there were a who lot sang of the one who sang the version or the arrangement for Disney when Disney had David Park- Crockett on? Bess Parker, the man who played really? it. Really? Yeah. He sang it. Yeah. I did not know that. And I and of course I, guess, uh, I did not know he sang. Oh my goodness! I have to go. Well, to Hay had the hit, right, Walden? Yeah, Bill Hay, who's still with us. Yeah. Uh, he had the hit. It was number one. Now, I wonder if that thing was regional, because Bill Black remembers Tennessee years before, so maybe that was popular in parts of the country. I, I don't know. You know, sometimes a song, like, for example, I Walk Alone During the War. Yeah. Um, Dinosaur had the East Coast number one hit, while Marshall Tilton had the West Coast. So okay. sometimes, some kind song, I think, wound up having geographical... Um, yeah. Well, for Love example, for in 1960, though it was not a number one hit, it was a somewhat popular hit in the summer of 1960. There was a song that was featured in a British horror movie called... Uh, the movie was called Circus of Horrors, and the song was called Look for a Star. And there were versions by, would you believe, Gary Miles, Gary Mills. There was a Gary Miles and Gary Mills had versions. Oh, boy. And Billy Vaughn had an instrumental, but what was interesting is apparently Gary M- Mills sang it in the movie. Gary Miles, I guess, had the East Coast hit, and Dean Haley had the West Coast hit. Mm. Uh, so that happened sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were a lot of times, there, in, in the 50s especially, there were a lot of times there would be many versions of a, of a given song. Um now, I'm trying to remember, I was going to comment, what were, what did you play last night for your awful show? My, I got sidetracked by so many it's, things. It sounds like the Capsi Cab driver to me. Oh, about, oh, yeah, the South African. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's interesting okay. that, that South Africa would do a story about a New York cab driver. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. What did you think? Well, it was interesting. It was historically interesting. I mean, it goes to show uh, how... It's interesting, for example, I don't know if you've ever heard some of the Australian versions of American radio shows. Have you heard, uh, for example... The Aussies and the South Africans are fabulous in mimicking American slang and and American accents. They sound American. This one didn't. I'm sorry. I interrupted you, so go. Yes, I've heard Aussies. Like you've heard Aussie do uh, The Fat Man, for example. Uh Uh-huh. And I heard an Aussie... Once John and Larry played an Aussie version of Dragnet. Uh, he said it, in, it was the same story we have in, on the radio show here, uh, said in L.A. and all of that, but it was done in Australia. Famous Jury Trials was done in Australia. Dangerous Assignment was done in Australia with an actor named Lloyd Burrell playing Steve Mitchell. Tell me what the Dragnet show sounded like. It sounded pretty good. Uh, it, he wasn't Jack Webb. But it was okay. Um, I don't. I can't even remember if they used the theme music. I can't remember. Uh, but but the story was. I'd heard, it's interesting to compare the way the two stories were done. They were practically the same. Uh, I've heard the clock. A lot of the clock shows are Australian, and there was also, of course, an American version of the clock. Yeah, I was mm-hmm. thinking. You know, there's an Australian Fibber McGee and Molly. I haven't heard it yet. You're n- are you kidding me? No, there is. Uh, Patricia had wanted... Uh, this is sacrilegious. I know. 
there was an Australian shadow. That's okay. But Patricia uh, can't believe it. Fred McGee and Molly was an Australian version of it. They're, they're just, oh my goodness. And oh my God, I have to go to bed. version of Gunsmoke. Only his name was Matt Morgan. Gunsmoke. Oh my goodness. No, um, I, I have not heard any of our regular shows mm-hmm. that were reproduced or represented. The, the fat man, the ones, the Australian, erase that. The fat man shows that were from Australia were original. It wasn't that they swiped a script and said, okay, let's do it over here. I did not know that. And I think that's naughty that they did that with some of our Fibber McGee and Molly. Maybe, maybe if it, well, maybe if you ever get a recording of one of those and you really think it's awful, you can play that as an awful show some Friday. Uh, if it gets, yeah. I'll make a phone call. Who's the Who's the king of Australia? <laughs> what do we have in Australia? Prime minister? Must be a prime minister. Yeah. I'll fix that. Uh, uh, operator, operator. Uh, uh, <laughs> The Prime Minister, there's a lady from Florida that wants to talk to you about something that happened 60 years ago, Long Prime Minister. An international incident here. <laughs> you can't imagine anyone else doing Fibber McGee. I mean, of course, there were, of course, on TV, there was a different version in this country. Yeah, but I'm sure if I seem to remember my bell ring, 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 there was a, an Australian version of Fibber McGee and Molly. Have you heard it, Walden? No, no, but I remember reading about it, hmm. hearing about it. In an article. Did they call it Fibber McGee and Molly? I think they did. What? I'm speechless. Do you know how many times you can make me speechless? I think this is twice. Um, but, but but, and I guess, uh, of course, they did a lot of those. Uh, you know, like I said, we're done in Australia. Mm Mm-hmm. I think there's a whole website. One Man Family was done in Australia. Really? Yeah. Okay. We, uh, we have one and, of those. And what's the matter? They can't write original scripts like that? <laughs> and I've heard one of the Gunsmoke Australia shows. It is well, pretty good. Well, think of Peg Lynch. Peg Lynch stuff was done in many different countries. Oh, it was done in Britain, wasn't it? Yeah, in many, many countries. I forget how many. So it was reenacted. It wasn't that they brought the show over and said, isn't this great from America? They no. did it themselves. Right. I need to talk to somebody about this. This is terrible. We had um, shows, th- there were import shows we had here that networks carried. For example, uh, the British show Secrets of Scotland Yard ran on Mutual. Of course, the third man was was a British series that we had here, The Lives of Harry Lyme. Orson Welles did it. I I was fascinated. Um, right now, John Laurie uh, next week going to present Bob and Barbara hosting their show, and one of the shows that Barbara selected was a show in 1954 of NBC called Showcase. And what they did, they took shows from the BBC and and replayed them on NBC. Okay. But I think for a showcase, that's okay. Yeah. But I, I, you know, I... You're featuring different shows. Right. But my goodness, Fibber McGee and Molly. That's, been a, that's a hard one for me to get over. That's almost... But well, of course, you, you do know that in the 40s, like 1941 or so, and 40, Mutual would carry every day at least one 
shortwave newscast from the BBC over Mutual during the war. Mm-hmm. Um, I have. Well, that's okay. It wasn't Fibber McGee. <laughs> <laughs> Did you, you you mentioned you heard you weren't you 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 were a little. Well, you mentioned you'd heard the suspense they did, backseat driver. Did you also hear the Lux they did? What was it called? Walden Papa, Papa and Mama. Yeah, Papa loves Mama. That's one of them, and then they did. I did did two Luxes. Uh, but that's that's one of them that, that I recall. And um, it it was a reproduction of what had played in the states. No, we're talking about the uh, Lux Radio Theater. Tim and Mary and Jordan when, when, doing a different characters and they did a they did a Papa Loves Mama on the Lux Radio Theater and I wonder if you'd ever heard that yet. No. Okay. Now I you know, Morgan is our drama person and I am not really big on dramatic presentations. I migrate to the comedies and the the um hard boiled detectives, the fun stuff. And I've never really been terribly warm to the dramatic stuff, so Walden has to work on me with that one. See, it's, it's, it's a comedy spoof because it, it, uh, Fibber's supposed to be in two places at once, and he's trying to you know, he's trying to run around in a disguise, or he's trying not really be saying who he is kind of thing. Um, well, yeah. now, see, I have always liked, and I remember hearing this as a little kid, and I've always liked the Screen Guild Theater where they did, um... Heavenly Days? Heavenly Days. I always have liked that, with Fibber and Molly. that was good. Yes. But they did Pop yeah. Loves Mama, and that's one you might want to... And another one, you, I mentioned this before, and I don't know if you've had a chance to hear it yet, because I know you're very busy, but you might want to check out that Sears Radio Theater from February 20th of 79, called The Troublemaker, with Jim Jordan. The Troublemaker. Now, I... I'm guessing from the title that this is not a comedy. Yeah, it is. It is a comedy. Andy Griffith hosted. You see, they they had shows every night with different hosts. Like Mondays, it was Westerns of Florin Green. Mm-hmm. Comedies of Andy Griffith. Wednesday, it was Mysteries of Vincent Price. Thursday, it was Love Stories of Cicely Tyson as host. And Friday, it was uh, Adventure with Richard Widmark and later Leonard Nimoy. And, but, how, and how Duff. And Howard Duff, too. Yeah, right. So, Which, you might want to catch... I'm sorry. It's a Tuesday show, it's a comedy, and it's called uh, The Troublemaker. The Troublemaker. Well, I can imagine Jim Jordan being a troublemaker. Which program did Backseat Driver? Was that Suspense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like okay. it. It was a good show, but I kept... If they, if they were introduced as Fibber McGee and Molly... So I'm waiting for a punchline in all of this and didn't realize until I was three quarters through that this was a serious show. But most people probably on the radio, I bet most listeners at the time, unless they really followed radio, probably didn't even know who Jim and Mary and Jordan were. Probably not. They didn't really build them that much on the later, maybe in the early years they did, but in the later years they were never billed on the air. Were they, Walden, in the later years on Fibber McGee? Uh, early they were. I don't think later. I think you're right. Well, remember, that was part of the fight that Jim Jordan had with the, the, the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Because, you know, 1960, that's when they started. It started off with 400 stars. Mm-hmm. And they wanted, they wanted to install it, and they wanted to use Jim and Marion's name. And Jim said, no. 
uh, it has to be fibromyalgia, and they would not do it. So Jim held out for 23 years until they broke down and went with fibromyalgia as a star in the Walk of Fame. In 83. Right. Wow. And that's the way they were known. Mm-hmm. It, it just seemed peculiar to me that they didn't say something like Jim and Marion Jordan, whom you probably know as Fibber McGee and Molly. They were introduced as Fibber McGee and Molly, unless I missed something and I'm not remembering it that, correctly. And that's the way most people, and of course, even at the end, when he and, when they were doing the commercial with Harlow Wilcox, you know, they joke about, well, you're not doing auto, you're not doing, hey, waxy, promoting auto lot, you know, Fibber was mm-hmm. that. By the way, yeah. by the way, last... And so I, I'm sorry, go ahead. By the way, up in Seattle, we had uh, Jim and Marion's granddaughter on, Peggy Jordan, Eugenia's older sister, and she told a funny story, and she's moving down here to California, so I'm hoping we'll have a chance to talk to her, Patricia. Oh, wonderful. And the story she told, guess who was Jim and Marion's neighbor? Gosh, I don't know. I don't even guess. It was John Wayne. Really? And Oh my goodness. And and out there in Encino in the streets the streets had tunnels. And so Why? I don't know. We'll have to talk to Peggy about this. So she <laughs> she got in the she she left her grandparent place and got into the tunnels and she snuck over to John Wayne's house through the tunnels and got out and got over to John Wayne's house. And security was very unhappy to find her over at John Wayne's house. So they marched her back over to Jim, and they, the security told Jim, you're lucky we didn't shoot your granddaughter. Oh, my gosh. Now, all right. Well, I mean, that raises the stupid question. If yeah. she got in, everybody else could, too. <laughs> <laughs> These guys were really on top of their game, right. weren't they? Right. So what else so voices, too, later for some, well, he did some Disney movies. I think The Rescuer, wasn't he a penguin or something? I think so, yeah. Uh, one of the Disney movies. Um, it was it was kind of fun when we, my my landlady and I and who I had it and we went to see Peter Pan when Disney re-released it in '83 and it was really fun to hear Wallace Wimple as Captain Hook's hench uh, lieutenant. Oh, Mead. Did he have his Wallace Wimple voice? Yes, he did. And, and this would have been Sneed. Sneed, yeah, yeah, you know, Captain. Okay. Lieutenant. Captain Kidd's kick, yes, his, his wimpy sidekick. He was wimpy. You're right. But, you know, that voice is so distinct. Hello, you know, the hello folks voice. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh-huh. Uh, hello folks. <laughs> oh, I told Walden this yesterday. I might as well tell you. I got a phone call yesterday. Mm-hmm. From the Donald. From? The Donald. The Donald. They're not not direct. It was a recording, of course, but yes. But you you have been recruited. Yes, I got a call on my machine. This is Donald Trump, and he talks about how in California it's not an open primary, and if you want to vote for him, you have to register as a you know as a Republican. Mm -hmm. And he goes on about reclaiming America, but but I'm going to. I'm probably going to keep the message as a souvenir in my archive because I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know. I guess they pick these numbers, of course, at random from hundreds of numbers. But uh, Don, I actually, Donald was actually on the phone yesterday. 
McDonald was on the phone yesterday. Well, it's nice that he's encouraging people to register because he forgot to do it with his own kids. Really? Can you imagine two of his kids couldn't vote for him because they hadn't registered Republicans? Really? They were registered. They were registered Democrats, and in New York, I know it, it was for. I'm assuming it's for the entire process because the Democrats had to be registered by sometime in October, or they could not vote as Democrats, and Republicans had to be. It's it, it's a closed right. uh, a closed Our primary. Class. If you're not registered, independents cannot vote. Yeah, you either have to be Republican or Democrat. And they didn't register as Republicans, so two of his kids couldn't vote for him. Interesting. But, I know. But it was really on top of things. It was interesting to get that phone message yesterday because that's something well, I wasn't I, expecting. I agree. You hold it in your archives and don't let it go. It's going to be like a campaign button. Right. Well, I have a mm-hmm. book review tonight. Oh, good. What you got? It's caught, it's it's uh, I changed my mind. The one I was going to do, I'm still doing some final reading on it. It's one I just finished. It's called A Stolen Life, a memoir by J.C. Gugart. And you might remember J.C. Gugart was the little girl who was kidnapped on her way to school in 1991 near Lake Tahoe, California. Oh, my goodness. And she was held by this couple named Philip and Nancy Garrido in... Uh, near Antioch, California, for 18 years. Oh, my. Oh, my gosh. There goes my heart. Kidnapped at 11. Uh, twist, a twisted guy. But it's not so much that that, that made the book interesting. It was it shows what, a, what the human spirit can do even under the most wretched circumstances. Yeah. Meaning J.C. Gugart's. Spirit. And she survived. How she survived? Well, for one thing, she talked about she talked about her kidnapping. She talked about how she'd had an argument with her mother's boyfriend that morning and walked out of the house just kind of upset, going to school, and they grabbed her. Uh, she didn't even know where she was for a long time. She was held in a backyard, in their backyard, and in a house, and in a tent. And how what was interesting, he was an ex-felon or an ex-con, who the parole officer, the parole people often came out to see, and they never noticed anything amiss, the parole people, all these years. He had her, he had her that well hidden. She talks about her cats. She, she raised cats. They let her keep animals, and she raised cats and dogs and other animals. She always thought about her mother and, and uh, how she wanted her a mother to know she was alive, and she... She even heard a story one night. Uh, normally, they didn't let her watch the news. They, lo- they eventually let her have a television and let her watch Disney movies and things. Mm-hmm. Uh, she'd occasionally watch news. She knew about 9-11. She, she saw that. And she knew about uh, one... She, she saw a TV report where a man who had murdered another girl named uh, Polly Kloss was maybe implicated in her disappearance, meaning... Miss Gugart's disappearance, and the kidnappers mm-hmm. immediately shut the TV off and said, We're, "We don't need you. Don't need to watch this stuff." Uh huh. Okay. But uh, she she raised these animals. She she had two children by Philip Garrido, two daughters. Oh my gosh! How the wife put up with it is still something I don't understand, um, and that wasn't really clear in the book. She talked about 
how Philip would always talk about angels and how angels were leading him on and angels were guiding him and there were danger good at good angels and bad angels and all of that. And um, finally, one day, uh, 18 years later, which would have been about 2009, I guess, or so, they're going to the parole, parole office, and he, he, he tells them that he's they're his daughters. And anyway, somehow it's discovered. Uh, the F, the police find that she, and she does admit she's been a kidnap victim. The happiest part of the story is when she's finally re, re, reunited with her mother the next day. Uh, they give them a hotel to stay in. They find a new place for them to live. The girls, she's going through therapy and adjusting. And the, 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 the mother, uh, J.C.'s mother, never believed the worst about it. She always believed that uh, J.C. was alive and never gave up hope that she would, that she wouldn't, that she would be found. And that's certainly encouraging that the mother had that much faith. Yes. Uh, they had one final meeting at the at police headquarters with Nancy. Gracie uh, did, and she told Nancy that she didn't think what they did to her was right. And uh, and Nancy said, "Well, can't we stay in touch?" And needless to say, J.C. wasn't that eager, naturally, to be in touch with. Yeah. Yeah. They're now serving life sentences. I think he got life and she got 50 years or something. Uh, I give the book three, well, four, three stars, not because it's uh, it was depressing in a lot of ways, but yet it, it was the resilient part of the human spirit. I agree. Um, it, it's, I mean, what a terrible, that's a terrible story, but... The survival of the human spirit. You're absolutely right. What an uplifting end to a horrific story. And it goes to show you, it, you know, it's sad of you to think there are bad. And, of course, at several times in the book she talked about how the government and the police had failed her badly by, by you know, really not pursuing. Yes. I, I still find that amazing that they, he, he and her could get away with it for 18 years. Uh, just just incredible but it was uh i had my she's she's taking therapy she's living in a new location she says it's she's not going to reveal the location of course because she doesn't want you know the pavarachi and all of that to follow her of course. of course which is certainly understandable but the girls are doing well her two little girls and uh again just a very interesting uh, book again called a stolen life a memoir all right. I appreciate your telling us about that. My gosh. All right, Jim. What what performer would you have paid money to see perform? Oh, boy. Uh, let's see. Oh, I have to think about that. That's something. Um, oh, let me think. Oh, maybe, um, I hope that's because you have so many and not nobody. Yeah, right. It's just, it's, it, uh, maybe maybe Perry Como, maybe. Ah, okay. I know. Was it one of your previous callers that yeah. saw her? Yeah, Dave saw Dave saw Perry in person. Yeah. And how about you, Walden? Have you thought of who you would most want to see? Well, I'm glad I paid and saw Bob Hope and Joyce Burns. I I got a chance to see those two in person. 
So we, I'm glad we did that. I would have loved to see Doris Day perform because I'm just a fan of her. But, uh, you know, but I, but I think those would be. I'm glad I got to see. I saw my my, my parents got a chance one time in '71. We had a country station in Chicago, WJJD, and they had a shower of stars where where country performers perform, and mm-hmm. they got a chance to see in person in one performance. Boots Randolph, Chad Atkins, and Homer and Jeffro. Ah. Chad Atkins would have been fun. Yeah, I would have definitely enjoyed that. Well, Homer and Jeffro, of course, were those great uh, singers that did parodies of sure. songs like uh, How Much Is That Hound Dog in the Window? Or, uh, <laughs> uh, were they the one that did the. There was a big, remember there was a big banjo hit in around 1970 called Doing Banjos. Was that them? No. I forgot. Oh, gosh, no, that was Flats and Scrubs. Might be, yeah. Yeah, it was was from the movie Deliverance. Hmm. Deliverance, yes. Oh, and gosh, it was They did one in 1959. It was a very big parody of the Battle of New Orleans called The Ballad of Cucamonga. Nineteen fifty nine we took a little hike to a little camp called Lake Amia Mike. Uh and it was uh uh you know, it was, it was about Boy Scouts. Uh they did uh, they did a great parody of Rudolph in the fifties called Randolph the Flat Nosed Reindeer. Oh my gosh. And my grandma loved their other Christmas parody, one of them. All I want for Christmas is my upper plate. <laughs> I'm losing. I think that goes with Grandma and the reindeer. Yeah, I lose my. Uh, uh, all I want for Christmas is my upper plate. I'm losing weight without my plate. <laughs> and one of the line was, uh, what is it? What one of the lines was? Uh, Christmas candy sure is hard. I can't even chew it just a little. But my favorite. Uh, but the worst one of all is good old peanut brutal. <laughs> and Jeff Rose says, Homer, that's brittle. And he says, well, without my upper plate, it is brutal. Could, um, never mind. Huh? <laughs> never mind. You know, Walden, I missed my calling. I could write that stuff. <laughs> you could have been a songwriter, Patricia. And, and you could have been too embarrassed. Well, they did. A, they, would... they, they also did Kellogg's Corn Flakes commercials in the early 60s. They would tell jokes, ooh, that's corny. Corny as flakes, anybody makes his cow logs. And one of the jokes, one of the things was, hey, Homer, what's the greatest cause of divorce? What? Marriage. Ooh, ooh that's corny. They would do things like that in there. Ooh, yes. Well, Patricia, I mean, for a hundred... I could have written this stuff. You know, for a hundred... Th- wrong with me? I stuck to the quality end of... <laughs> Yeah, but just out of Ben, I hope we're just You could have, you could have retired on a hundred thousand dollar residual a year, Patricia. I gather, Patricia, you were not a Homer. You would not have been a Homer and Jeffro fan. Well, yeah, Homer and Jeffro are okay. I just didn't write for them. <laughs> right. And look, look at what I could have done. <laughs> I, but that, but my parents really. High-end people don't get to a lot, you know. Parents really enjoyed seeing Chet Atkins and Homer and Jeff Rowe and Boots Randolph. And we did see Eddie Arnold at a rodeo once in Houston. Interesting. Interesting. 
Okay, well, I have my theme question for you, Jim, before we go. Are you ready? I am ready. Okay, my theme question is, it relates to, at least tangentially, if I say that word correctly, that I pick awful shows for Friday night. And now I'm curious about what you have heard that you think is weird or awful or the worst show you've ever heard. What would go in that category? Well, let's see. Oh, many to choose from, I think. Oh, I know, I know. Um, no, it sounded like when you said, well, let me think. <laughs> it sounded like you had a whole repertoire there. Yeah, well, there, you know, there are, there are a number of them. And, of course, we, we have to take into account that it's strictly opinion. Uh, mm-hmm. And there may be two sure. other people that like a given show. That's how I tripped into Stan Freeman. is one that just never grabbed me. And which one is that? I'm sorry. Meet Millie. Meet Millie. Interesting. Yes. Early 50s. Mm-hmm. Verdugo and later Audrey, or Audrey Totter and later Alinga Verdugo played her. She was a secretary, always trying to get the boss's son. Uh, Millie Broadway. I think I have heard maybe three of those shows. It's time for me to revisit. Are they bad enough that they might qualify for Friday nights? In my opinion, but there may be ten other people that liked it, so I don't... Well, it doesn't matter. If you don't like it, you don't like it. Ron and if I don't like it, by golly, I don't like it. And Ron didn't like it either, so... Okay, that's two. Uh, so, and Ron, Ron is a very good judge of good good and bad shows, too, in my opinion. Um, but, but it was just one of those... I mean, it was... I never cared for her voice. I mean, that was that yeah. was one factor in the show. Sometimes, if a if a voice is bad, you you don't care for it. And I remember my parents watching Meet Millie on television when I was a child, like at four. Mm-hmm. And I was telling Ron this story years later. I said, of course, it wasn't necessarily maybe that they liked Meet Millie, but it's one of the places we lived. It might have been the only television channel that was on <laughs> the television. So that might be the reason they watched it. I, I never thought about it in those terms. You're right. <laughs> but but that, that's what... Wait, wait, when, when you have rabbit ears on your television, you're so grateful that you got anything at all. Well, there were a couple of places we lived where they did not have television yet. We lived in... Ah, okay. In 52 and 53 and 54, where there was no television. My grandmother got us a television when we lived in California the first time. We took it with us on our move to Texas, and in the two Texas cities we lived in, there was no television. Um, we finally, what was interesting about the one of the places we lived was Port Arthur, Texas. And in our house that we rented, the house actually had a genuine living room radio. I don't know if it was an Atwater Kent or what, but as a, as a two-and-a-half-year-old child, I can still remember the cabinet on it. It had a big bass sound on it. It had the felt on the on the, a felt the felt on the speaker that I could still feel. You know the felt on the radio. But it was actually in the living room, and my parents actually wow. listened to the. And that was part of the package. Yeah, it had a big bass sound to it. Uh, we heard she, my mother used to listen to Arthur Godfrey in the morning, and she actually she heard the firing of Julius LaRose alive. Mm. Uh-huh. Uh told me about it years later, and, and she, mm-hmm. she was just shocked. 
I found it interesting, Walden, when you were interviewing him, you were telling me that Julie had never heard the term swan song. Never did. And, uh... We sat down with him twice. He never did, but he sure knew once the audience guessed what happened to him. Yeah. Okay. Once he heard, <gasps> he knew he was done. Yeah. So. But my mother heard it live. Um, but we used to listen to Godfrey. We listened to the soaps. We listened to Dragnet. We listened to Gangbusters and Gunsmoke and uh, whatever was on in '53. I remember. Uh, Jack Benny and My Little Margie on Sunday nights on the radio that my parents listened to. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have TV, really, till we moved to Cincinnati in 1954. That's when we finally got TV full-time. Uh, but it was, fun to, it was fun to have the radio like that. And, and it's, it's, it's a strong, even if I was just barely a toddler, it's a childhood memory I have very clearly mm-hmm. of that living room radio. Uh, making it all worthwhile. Um, but Meat Millie is the worst. In my, I mean, at least, of course, next week, if you ask me next week, I might say something totally different. But I, I understand that. Uh, you know, sometimes I pull a bad show that I, well, I think it's a bad show or an awful show, and two weeks later I'll say, okay, it's time to start preparing for the recordings, and I'll pull it out and say, I wonder why I put that there struck me awful when I first heard it, and after the fact, it didn't sound so bad after all. Is there any, so show, is there any that you regret picking as an awful show that you've, that's been rehabilitated in your mind? <laughs> rehabilitation is such a strong word when you're talking about me. Or that's improved, um, maybe improved its reputation might be a better word. Yeah, yeah. Um, that I've been healed or something like that. I don't think so. Well, then have I, do you recall that I've ever said anything like that? Well, you thought twice about Richard Diamond, haven't you? Well, I thought twice about Richard Diamond because everybody's a Richard Diamond <laughs> fan. I still, I still think it was a crummy show. <laughs> but then again... No, no, I think you, I think you, you pretty much have stuck to your guns, my dear. You haven't, you haven't really reevaluated. But again... Yeah, I don't think I've come back and said, boy, I shouldn't have chosen that one. Uh-huh. I don't recall ever doing that. Well, but again, for that Richard Diamond, was it again the series itself or just that one episode? Oh, no, it's always just that one episode or that one particular show. No, I rarely slam yeah, the entire series. But you know, the thing is, Patricia's definitely her own person <laughs> because... Her own ears. Because hmm. that's one of the most favorite shows of a Richard Diamond fan, and she took on, for a lot of us, our favorite show. I, I couldn't believe it when I heard these folks, and and Ron in Illinois was one of them. That's my favorite show. <laughs> I just thought it was absolutely dreadful. It was a parody on, for anyone who missed them, I, mean, I guess a lot of people miss on Friday nights. I chose a one one episode of Richard Diamond that I thought was perfectly dreadful. November 5th. November 5, 1949, everybody. That's uh, the one she took voice. That's uh, the one she took, leave, took on. Leave it to Walden. What was the title of that show, Walden? Do you recall? Uh, no, I don't remember the actual I, title. I guess it really yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. I it's awful. His singing voice. Yeah. 
But I remember yeah, the date. Yeah. No, and it's... sang and sang and sang and sang and sang, and, sang, and I'm not wild about because, it. Because, because, because I, was, I was trying to promote that as a recreation. So far, I haven't convinced them yet. So maybe I'll have Patricia... Uh -huh. Maybe I'll maybe have, I'm not by myself. Maybe I'll have Patricia type that one up next year. I don't think so. <laughs> but, um, but it was a... Uh, but again, the thing that stood out in that episode for me was the way the neighbor kept yelling whenever he would try to sing. Yeah. And, but, it, you know, it, I think... I think part of what made it so distasteful for me was that they took pieces of the regular show and kept amplifying them. He sang forever. The neighbor screamed forever. He always sang in the show. The neighbor always screamed in the show. But in this, it sounded interminable. And then they took or tried to do a parody on so many of the other detectives. Jack Webb was supposed to be in there. I think Sam Spade was in that one. And it just didn't make it. It broke so far from the the show itself richard diamond it it just didn't fit it just didn't fit so what's your i will i will go to my grave so, <laughs> so what's your opinion of blake edwards as a writer patricia yeah well i i think he was a great writer he wrote that script it doesn't matter he was a great <laughs> writer. i mean dan, dan freeberg had some good stuff too but not the stuff you I have, have you ever um, seen the TV, Richard Diamond, if David Jensen, where there's no humor at all? Have you ever seen the TV version? No. I have not. I didn't even know it was there. Yeah, there was a TV version. David Jensen, who later played the fugitive, played uh -huh. Richard Diamond, and his secretary was Mary Tyler Moore. Oh, my goodness. What years would the, 50, um, did that play? 57 to 60. 57 to 60. Nope, never saw it. Never, ever saw it. He played it straight. David Jansen played Diamond straight. Hmm. So. Would it have been an improvement for me? Probably. They didn't do parodies. I still um, think it was better than, than Nick Powell's other detective series, Rogue's Gallery, though. Now, you know, I actually get a kick out of that one. I think it's stupid, but it's fun. I didn't care for the, his alter ego. That that was what stopped me on that one. Uh, oh yeah, Igor. Igor. Uger. No, you. Like Igor. And called X, Mister Zeltsmith. You know Herbert Marshall's so-called part. You know Mister Zeltsmith. Uh huh. Uh, I don't think I've ever heard that show. show. There are some that I have and I've had forever, and I've just never listened to, and I think that's probably one of them. And I and I know a lot of people. I like Lorraine Tuttle's as an actress, but to me, I always thought Abby was a distraction to me on Sam Spade. It was just my opinion. You know, I, I, you know, uh, 10 other people would disagree. Uh, I actually preferred Philip Marlowe because he played it straight without a secretary or those distractions. Yeah, but mm -hmm. think of it this way. If you ever read the book, the, um, the multi-falcon book, Effie yeah. got hard eggs to her, and I don't know if that would work well on the radio. I think so she had a harder edge in the book. Oh, it was a really hard edge in the book. You know, I don't think, um, I think, I think Lorraine, Lorraine convinced, uh, William Spears that Effie as a contract needed to play soft. Yeah. To Howard Duff. And that was her idea. So William Spears went with it. But if you ever have sat down and read the book. 
Um, it, 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 it's definitely a harder edge. To I always preferred I always preferred Sam Spade to the Thin Man, that, and I know Hammett wrote both of them, so. I like the I like the either is better than the thin yeah man. I like the Thin Man book better than I do do Sam Spade. Oh yes, the oh, book. Oh my gosh, yes. The book. Oh my god, there was some substance in the books. The thing that always got me about the Thin Man about the every at the end of, they were always they were always drinking. It was interesting how they. Create the concept mm-hmm. in in the book. Oh, the, the movies were a riot. There were no, there were no, mm-hmm. there were no Fat Man books, right? Hammett just wrote that initial script. I mean, he put his name on the Fat Man, but he didn't really write any Fat Man stories, right? I don't know. Mm. Patricia, you got I don't know about that either. I've never read any Fat Man stories. Were they in print? I don't know. I, 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 I don't. Fat, he created the radio show Dashiell Hammett, or lent his name to it anyway. Have you ever read Dashiell Hammett gla- the Glass Key? I can't figure that one out at all. I read the book. I, the I Sam Spade story. Yeah, no, it's another. It was just another detective. Most be considered one of Dashiell Hammett's great mm-hmm. detective stories. I still, and I, I still don't understand that one. Well, you know, I also, I, I still think that Rex Stout's Nero Wolf comes across better in the books than it did on the radio. I think Patricia would agree with you on that. Uh, I agree. 100%. I agree. I mean, and, and it had to do, I, I think, because they had more time to go into character. Sydney Green, and of course a lot of people didn't like Sydney Greenstreet. Pick me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Not go. That, you know, I always want to shake that man by the shoulders and say, will you clear your throat, please? Okay, okay, okay. In, in the old radio days, who would have, who would have been a better, who would have been a better, you know, wolf? Wow. Well, we had several, you know, we had Francis X. Bushman. Right, I know. Senator Ortega. Right. And I've, I've only heard one Bushman show, that's the last one of that series. So who of the radio character actors of old time radio who would have been a better Neil Wolf than Cindy Greenstreet? John Daner. He could have. He could have. Uh, I think John Daner could have pulled it off. Mm. I think. Uh, who knows? Maybe even Ben Wright could have. I agree. Ben Wright. A lot of different. He was. He was almost as versatile as, and he probably was, but he wasn't. Uh, a forward star character. He was almost consistently in the uh, uh, about Bill, uh, role. How about Bill Conrad? He did on TV. Right. So that's what I'm wondering. Wait. Would he been a better Wait. no Wolf on radio? Conrad. Wait. Conrad. Wait. Okay, Patricia said no. <laughs> and there, no. there was another actor who played him on TV in that A&E series. I forgot who the actor was. Uh, oh, that was um, Maury... Maurice Chapin. Chapin. Yeah, that's the one. Chapin. Yeah. Well, I had a friend who actually liked Jeremy Britt's Sherlock Holmes better than Basil Rathbone. So. Okay. On A and E, so I guess you know we all have different. Oh! 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 Gosh! Yes! Oh my goodness! He was fabulous. Jeremy Britt. I mean, you know how much I mean. Slap me upside the head. You know how much I love Basil Rathbone. Right. 
I would take Jeremy Pitt over Vessel Wrestling. Wow. He was extraordinary in that role. You know, sometimes the we re- we hey, when we read books on tape, sometimes the reader gives their own interpretation. Like the two best Nero Wolfs, in my opinion, on our on our talking book program, were both radio actors out of New York. Carl Weber, who played Doctor Six Gun at one point, mm-hmm. could also do voices, and he was a great Nero Wolf. And Ralph Bell was a good Nero mm-hmm. Wolf on a number of the talking books. Um, so, so you know, and, and uh, but I still don't think anybody could top. No one could be the saint as good as Vincent Price. Nobody. Roger did it on TV, but it wasn't the same. Uh, how about Ronald Coleman? Uh, yeah, he could have, I guess. Because mm-hmm. Vincent, that the saint needs some. Sophistication. It has to be like a Vincent Price or a Ronald Coleman. I think Somebody... Ray Sullivan did it on radio briefly, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. Vincent Price had an ability to take something serious and tweak it with mm-hmm. a little bit of fun. Right. right. Especially with Louis the cab driver. Right. Even if they had a dead body in the car, he could find some humor in there. So it really was a straight entertainment show. As opposed to a mystery, in my opinion. What do you think? That sophistication and that um, warmth and sophistication. and the, the mm-hmm. So, by the way, you do, and I may, again, before I go, remember, you do want to check out The Troublemaker, that Sears Radio Theater with Jim Jordan. Check. I'll, I will write that one down. I wasn't next to the computer. When uh, I, how'd your interview go today? I didn't check. Well, we're about to play it. Oh, you're about to play it now. Pretty soon. It was pre- Tony Tennille chose to have it pre-recorded, so we've got this treasure to share. Okay. So that'll be interesting, and uh, it'll be interesting to see about that. Uh, she did a couple of mutual radio theaters, too. That's what you said, and I asked her about that. Walden sent me the information that you and Ron had pointed out for him. I couldn't find it. All of the mutual radio theaters I found stopped at 1979, and her two... In 80, there were Sears and Mutual, so that might have been sort of the confusion, but in eight, the ones she did were in 80. They, they, and I, Walden sent the dates that you and, and uh, Ron had sent, so I should have checked Sears. Shame on me, and that's probably where they were. But anyhow... Anyway, she did talk um, about it, so... Well, she did because her memory got jogged, and I said, you know, you and Ron had sent the dates, and Walden was in on it, too. And she said, wait a minute. I mean, she really had to think about it. Mm-hmm. And then she remembered, and it was a fun thing for her to remember. Yeah, one of them, she's a, it's a Western, and one's a mystery. So maybe Mr. Mm-hmm. can play those at some point, or you guys can play those at some point. Anyway, you all have a wonderful evening. You too, Jim. I hope uh, next week I hope to do the Dame of the Kimono finally. I'm just doing some final reading on that to get all the information straight. So thank you again. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jim, and thanks for meeting Millie. I'm going to check it out. Okay. All right. It is about quarter to ten here on the West Coast. What do you want to do, Patricia? Should we run the interview? Should we take another call? What would you like to do? Let's do the interview. Okay. 
and then we can come back and have a serious block of time instead of saying, okay, we've only got 10 minutes left. Yeah, well, that's that, whatever you want to do, because we could have done it either way. So you think it's ready to do This runs over an hour, everybody, an hour and nine minutes. Uh, she was scheduled for 45, and she gave the adorable I one. I kept saying, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> and she kept saying, I don't think there's anything more we can talk about. Oh, yes, there is. My goodness. So I should introduce it. Uh, you want to give a little background, and then I can fire it up. Sure, go ahead. Yeah, just a little background. We have the interview coming up is with Tony Tennille. Many people recognize the Tennille part of that name as part of the captain and Tennille. Her husband, Daryl, was the captain, and she was the Tennille in the Captain and Tennille. Um, and we had a good time with her. She talked about her background and her history and her growing up years and working with Real, I, I was surprised when I read this that they were in the background with the Beach Boys, and she also did some vocalization with the Beach Boys. So she was really an interesting person and just delightful. Sounds today as she did 20 or 30 years ago. So I think you're going to enjoy it. I had a good time. I think Walden did. Did you have a good time? Oh, I had a great time. You had a great time. How I did, did you get in touch with her? Her people contacted me. I thought that was the uh-huh. case. And I'm I'm just so delighted that it happened. She has a book out, and so she's back in the public eye. It's a memoir, Tony Tennille, a memoir, and that's how um, how I got all of my questions and information because I read the book. It's fun having the other station get contacted by PR people. So that's nice to know. Huh? I think it's marvelous. You are just too cool, <laughs> Mister Hughes, <laughs> sir. Yeah, and so she's gonna be okay. a she's gonna be a guest with Dave Kane here down the road. So we can we can see if Dave do just a good job, Patricia. I think Tony is going to be with him. That's great. Yep, I set them up. I thought it'd be a fun guest for for Dave to talk to. So okay, well we will be back. I crossed my little heart. All right, Patricia's gonna have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and take a shower while we're doing this. <laughs> One or the other. <laughs> All right, I'll talk. I'll talk to you in a little while. Okay. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. What's well, your purpose, dear Lord? Thank you for this wonderful opportunity. Bless this wonderful country. The opportunities we have. Look after the, the needy, the poor, and the homeless. We ask in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, everybody. Let me flip it over. Jaws Professional, Jaws Professional. Windows M, M. Windows M, Desktop M, Microsoft M, My Conf M, My Document, Enter. Document Christmas, one Friday, Enter. One Tony Tanillo interview edited with per unloading job pants. Okay, Enter, and One. Hi, everybody, I'm Wong Shoes, and I know this is going to be a special time we get to, to have, as a special guest, I'm going to have... Patricia, introduce her. Go ahead, Patricia. Oh, boy, this is great. We are talking tonight with Tony Tennille, 
who is, and you'll recognize her name, but also in a different context, Captain Tennille. Um, she is with us from Florida. We're holding down the East Coast tonight. Everybody calls <laughs> in from California. So I'm just delighted that we've got two people over here on this side. It is April 23rd, 2016, and we are not live. So we're not going to be taking phone calls. I get Tony all to myself. <laughs> and I love it. Tony has written a book, Tony Tennille, a memoir. Not only is it in print, but it is in audio. And Tony, that is very special for our audience because we have so many visibly or visually impaired, I I get mixed up with my words, visually impaired listeners on this station. So this is just a gift for them. Welcome, Tony, to Neil. Well, thank you so much. I'm glad to be with you tonight. Oh, my gosh. Are we happy that you're here? And we've got a birthday coming up. Happy birthday. Oh, gosh. (laughs) You're reminding me of that, right? Oh, my God. Well, listen, you know, you've been so open with everything. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. May May 8th, that's my birthday. May 8th, yes. So here is a list of accomplishments and credits, and I know it's not complete, Tony, so maybe you could help me with this. We've got singer, classical musician, composer, songwriter, um, now you're a writer, of course, TV talk and music show, TV with Captain and Tennille, Captain and Tennille show. Um, <laughs> you did auditions for a radio commercial that I want to make sure we talk about. Yes, yes. Um, and you did voiceover work for a Casper cartoon special. I did, I did. <laughs> I, you know, I'm, I'm just so fun, having so, such fun finding these things. Your 1975 Grammy Award, Love Will Keep Us Together, Five albums that were gold or platinum on the road with Victor Victoria. And I learned today, and you have to correct me if this is if this is a little off, you did two radio shows on mutual radio in nineteen eighty. Is that correct? You know, I'm trying to remember if I did. I I think I did. Were they were they um were they like uh, plays, like small plays? One was a western. That you sang, yeah. and one was a, a mystery. Yeah, and I remember. It, oh, my. And we have the recording, so if you ever want them, Tony, we can send them to you. And I think it was produced by Elliot Lewis, if that might ring a bell. And uh, Oh, gosh, I would love to have those. So definitely, I'll, I'll, I'll get her hollering after, the, and we'll send the links and her forward mod to you. So. Oh, that's great. Thank you so no much, problem. Walden. No problem. I'm so glad you have them, Walden. I tried everywhere, and Tony's name kept coming up with the show, and nobody had it. They stopped at 1979. Well, so. all, when we were promoting it last night, all the fans said, hey, don't forget to ask Tony about this radio, and I did I didn't remember it, so I know we got it because we got such a, a large archive, so we'll, we'll make sure Tony gets a copy of it. That'll, that'll be great, because I remember I absolutely loved doing it. It was just more fun, and I wish we had more stuff like that now, because that's the kind of thing I'd like to do. You know, one of the things you did, it, it, an old radio name, you did, it was with Tremaine, who was the first night on radio, and you did the mystery with him. He was one of your supporting actors. So. That's right. That's right. I remember. Oh, my gosh. That was fun. Are we having fun already? And we've just gotten started. This is great. And Walden, you're going to send me the links as well because I couldn't find them, and I'm so disappointed. Okay. Well, so we'll, we'll, we'll just get everybody on board with of, this. I have to take care of all the ladies in my life tonight. We'll be good. Okay. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Tony, what I would like to do, if it's all right with you, is start with your growing up years and then work into your career and your career with Daryl Dragon, who was known as Captain. And you can tell us how he got that name as well. Now, you grew up in Montgomery, Alabama. I did. Mm-hmm. And it was a very pointed and emphatic segregation time. Oh, definitely. Um, we, we were supposed to be, the, the laws were supposed to be separate but equal, and they were definitely separate but far from equal. But, of course, when, when Jane and I were little, I was born in 1940. She was born in 1942. She's the sister closest in age to me of the, of mm-hmm. the three. Um, and uh, we, we just, we didn't understand that the life we were living was any different than most other people did. I would call our family upper middle class, probably. And uh, we had uh, black people that, uh, that we hired to be a cook or a nanny and that sort of thing. One of them, Denny, was with us for all the way through the time that Melissa was born. Um, and we adored her. But and I remember things like um, uh, whites only water fountains, coloreds only, bathrooms separate. Um, I remember p- particularly uh, Denny, the, the, the nanny that we had for so many years. Denny Johnson was a college graduate. She had graduated from one of the Negro colleges uh, at that time. And I remember even when I was little wondering why she was, you know, babysitting us rather than doing something else with her college degree. Yeah. But, but one of the things I do remember is that uh, uh, she would take me and Jane to Oak Park, which is still there in Montgomery. And it was a, a park where everybody went, and you had birthdays there, and it was a lot of fun. And um, Denny would take us on the bus from our house to Oak Park. And we'd get on the bus, and she'd pay the driver, and she'd get us all seated up in the front, and then she'd go to the back of the bus. And Jane and I didn't want to be away from her. We wanted to be with her. So we would get up and go back to the back of the bus to sit with Denny. And she would say, no, 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 you have to go back up to the front. And we'd say, why, why, we want to be with you, and she'd say, very quietly, that's just the way things are, and I just go back up to the front. And, uh, and that I remember very clearly. And then I remember uh, Jane told me a wonderful story where she was out driving in Montgomery with Daddy, um, and um, they pulled up to a stoplight, and there was a car next to them, and Daddy looked over and he said to Jane, do you know who that is in that car? And Jane looked over and said, no. And he said, that's Dr. Martin Luther King. And Jane never, ever forgot that. Um, at the time uh, when we were really young, uh, you know, we, I started out, you know, in the fifth 40s, you know, I was up to age 10. And then I went through high school, um, you know, up to when I, when I went to Auburn in 1959. And after that is when things really, really, really started happening. Um, with the bus boycott with Rosa Parks. And I was in Auburn at the time and and missed a lot of that. But as I grew older, I was beginning to see that things weren't right. And my parents kept us very, um, they kept a lot of it from us. Uh, I think they did that because they themselves knew 
kind of the ugliness of the situation, and they protected us from that. But I remember we were members of the Montgomery Country Club, and we would go on Sundays to have a Sunday dinner there, and we were waited on by a staff of black waiters in white starched jackets and bow ties, and that's, you know, I hate to say it because it sounds so awful, but that's just the way it was then. Mm -hmm. Just like Denny said. Just like Denny said. And she was, you know, the wonderful thing that happened with Denny that I was so glad for. I have to go back and say that Denny used to be our our best audience of one. When Mother and Daddy would go out, Denny would always stay with us. And Jane and I would put on a show for Denny. And <laughs> we'd put some music on. And, you know, I remember we put on a, a recording of uh, Debussy's Gollywog's Cakewalk, uh, the children's suite. And we'd go out there and we'd dance and make up things. We didn't know what we were doing. And Denny would just applaud and applaud and say how wonderful it was. So she was, you know, my and our first audience of, of our, you know, adored us, uh, of one, our audience of one. And then later on, years later, when Daryl and I, um, you know, had all of our success and we were performing in, uh, in, I believe it was Chicago, because Denny had moved there by that time to live with her daughter. And... Um, we invited her uh, to come and um, and uh, watch one of our shows, the Captain and Tennille show. We got her. We had a limousine, pick her up, take her to the front uh, front row, tickets in the front row to watch uh, to watch the show. And then afterwards, uh, she came backstage, and uh, I will never forget what that felt like to have Denny there to see us when we finally had some success, Daryl and I did. Uh, it was very, very special, and I've never forgotten it. You had an audience of more than one that night. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you did. And it must have been an extraordinary experience for her as well. You know, I think it was. Denny was very quiet. Um, she didn't often express her own feelings, but I'll tell you one thing I knew about her is that she loved our family. She loved my dad, she loved my mom, and she loved my sisters. And like I say, she was with us until Melissa, the youngest, was born and with us for quite a while until she, until she left to go live with her, with her, uh, her daughter. Mm-hmm. What, a, what, a, what a great experience for you and your sisters to have had, especially in that time in our history. Absolutely. We're talking, we're, we learned sorry, so much from that time. And yeah. you know, my parents were um were what you would call, you know, pretty liberal white white family for that time. Mm -hmm. Uh we were taught always to be respectful, never to use, you know, bad language or the N word which was never spoken in our house. Um and to treat everybody the same way and Somehow, with our parents' help, we managed to come out of that uh, that kind of upbringing with respect and understanding. Which is remarkable, especially for the times. And I, I don't want to concentrate on this, Tony, because we have so much to cover. Sure. But you've spoken so eloquently about, and in the book as well, about the people in your life and the black people who influenced you and the people who you had fun with. How old were you when you and Jane in particular got your arms around what segregation really meant? I would say 
when we were about 15, 14, 15, we're, we're about 20 months apart, Jane and I are. Mm-hmm. And that's when we began to understand what was going on. Um, at the time, um, we didn't really know what to do about it. You know, we just knew that it was wrong and it was going on, but we didn't understand what we could do. Um, and it was only, and then, of course, when I went up to Auburn uh, and went to school there for two years, uh, that was totally white. There were the first black person, uh, black student came to Auburn, I believe it was in 1962. So, you know, up there in Auburn, away from Montgomery, we were kind of away from all of the uh, the things that were beginning to happen yeah. at that time. Yeah. Interesting. We're talking with Tony Tennille. Everybody in our audience knows who you are, Tony. And Tony has written a book, Tony Tennille, a memoir. Tony, tell people, please, how they can get your book and the treat that you have also narrated it. Well, first I want to say that I didn't do this book by myself. I would never have done it without my niece, Caroline Tennille St. Clair, who is Jane's youngest daughter. Uh, Caroline is a, just a fine writer. I, I'm very good at saying this happened. And I can, you know, describe what happened when we were at the White House or when I was out with the Beach Boys and so forth. But Caroline has the gift of putting you right into the scene. She just knows how to make the reader be there. And that's a gift that I don't have. And she also uh, took us, threaded, threaded my life through what was happening historically at the time in the country. Uh, and, of course, we were there during the 70s for the crazy music scene that was going on uh, at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it, I have to give her credit. But to, to find it, um, you, can, um, you can go to barnesandnoble.com. You can go to amazon.com. Uh, you can go into any Barnes & Noble store. I know they're carrying it. Um, I'm not sure how many other of the smaller bookstores are carrying it right now. You also should be able to find it at your local library, if not now, within a couple of weeks. Um, And then the audio book, which I read, which I must say was a a wonderful experience for me, um, because I read it um, from the very beginning and kind of went back over my life as I was reading it. Uh, as I was talking it and telling people what it was like, uh, I was going through it emotionally, all the things that, that happened to me. And you can find that on Amazon Audible Audio. Uh, actually, all you have to do is just put in uh, um, Tony Tennille, a memoir, and it'll go to all the various forms you can find it in. That's great. I'm so glad it's got so many places that people can tap into, and it's not just one place, and uh, this is great. Oh, uh, no, Barnes and we're in our second printing, so I'm kind of excited about it. <laughs> I've read that. I am so excited for you that the first one just disappeared, yeah, and you're in the great. second printing now. That That is so great. But the Audible is permanent. I mean, you, you don't have to wait for an edition to show up for that, and I'm I'm just so delighted that you were the person who did the audio, because no, you lend, it, you lend it, so much to it. Now, listen to some samples. Oh, it's really so great. Good. Well, you know, it's my story, and it's in my voice, so it had to be me. I, I can't imagine anyone yeah. else reading it with, with, the, with the visceral understanding of mm-hmm. my life that I have of my life. Yes, yes. I Andy. kind of hoped with the audio book that people would feel 
the same things that I was feeling as I was yes. as I was remembering yes. and reading. And your voice is in there. It's in there. <laughs> we know your voice, and it's there. Tony, I'd like to what happened to your Alabama accent? Well, you know, it it depends. If I go, <laughs> there's a funny thing that happens. Uh, I remember when I, w- I would be on the road with with Daryl or, or or out doing a symphony concert or something like that in another uh, southern town, uh, and my musicians would always laugh at me because the minute I got into a southern state and I went on stage, you know, I would say, oh, it's just so great to be back here in Tennessee, and it would just come <laughs> right back. Uh, you know, <laughs> um, when I moved to California... I thought, okay, let me try to neutralize my accent a little bit so I can, you know, depending on what I end up doing, if I'm uh-huh. going to try for acting or whatever, um, I can go into a, to a neutral voice and then I can do other accents if I, if I need to and I can use my southern accent if I need to. So that's kind of what happened. Well, I think <laughs> yeah. anyone who can erase part of their, their uh, verbal presentation it's i'm really impressed i'm from new york i want people to say the same thing about me tell me about auburn university you spent two years there and i know that your family had some really challenging times and you spent two years at auburn and then moved on to other things can we talk about that for a little bit absolutely what would you where would you like me to start i would like you to start when you wound up at auburn and you can include the, the Auburn Knights in there because they did pop up in your life later on. Um, but what happened at the end of those two years as well? Well, at the time that I, that I was, uh, had finished high school and was going to Auburn, um, my family, my father, now first of all, let me go back and say he was a big band singer when he was in his 20s. He sang with Bob Crosby and his Bobcats, which was a very famous big band at the time. And Daddy was on his way to having a wonderful career as a as a vocalist for the various big bands. He was he was handsome, blonde, blue eyed, charming, and had a beautiful beautiful tenor voice. But his father, uh, my grandfather, passed away very young, and. Uh, and his mother had to take over the family furniture store, which had been founded in 1888. It had been in Montgomery that long. And so Daddy had to go uh, go back off the road, go home, and take care of the furniture business. The thing was that Daddy was a, a brilliant musician, wonderful singer, but he had really not a very good business head. And uh, and he didn't have his heart in it. He he wasn't interested in furniture. He wanted to be back out on the road again, singing. Um, and so um, and so he uh, uh, lost. I think he lost heart at that point and wasn't really paying that much attention. And the business began to fail. Uh, Mother then was able to. She was offered a job at WSFA TV in Montgomery, um, doing her own talk show. Uh, she called it the guest room, and she used her maiden name, Catherine Wright, the, the guest room. And um, that kept the family going. That kept some money going for, for a while. But eventually it was very obvious that I could not continue at Auburn. There was just no money. 
Um, and uh, so when when my family moved to California, as soon as I finished my uh, my sophomore year, I flew out to California to to be with them and uh, kind of fell in love with California. And uh, when the time came to go back, I couldn't go back anyway because we didn't have the finances to keep me there in school. Yeah. And what did you do then? Well, um, I uh, finished up, you know, my sophomore year at Auburn, and then I got on a plane, and I flew to California. And I remember when we were landing in, uh, in L.A., and you remember, I lived in Alabama all my life. I had never seen anything <laughs> right. like this. I looked out of the plane window. It was nighttime, and I just saw lights forever. And I just couldn't imagine what was down there below me. It looked like the lights went on forever. And then there was blackness, which was the ocean at night, the Pacific Ocean, boom. And um, it was just like a magical thing to me. But I moved in with my uh, with my mother and father and my sisters uh, in a little place on Balboa Peninsula that we rented and uh, went to work for North American Aviation Autonetics Division. Uh, Daddy had gotten a job working there, uh, and he got me and Jane summer jobs uh, doing, you know, clerk-type work. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's how we made some money while we were trying to find our place in uh, in California. You met Daryl Dragon, Captain, as yes. many people know him. According to the information I have, in 1971, does that sound right? Yes, that sounds very right. Yeah, 1971. Tell me, tell me about the meeting and what created magic for you. Well. It, it goes back to South Coast Repertory Theater, which I had done theater all my life. And even while I was working at North American, you know, I always had a theater group somewhere that I could do things with because I, I wanted to be creative in some way. And that's what I loved to do. So I, I was doing all of that and working at North American. And um, now, where am I going? Because I can't remember. I got off track a little well, bit. Well, yeah, I, I started asking about the meeting, your first oh, meeting, meeting with Daryl. And while I was at while I was at uh, uh, South Coast Rep, I wrote a musical with one of the directors there. His name was uh, Ron Thronson. He had written the, the the book and the lyrics for a musical uh, that was about ecology called Mother Earth. And he asked me if I could write music set the lyrics that he wrote to, to music. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, well, yeah, you know, I'd only written a couple of songs by, you know, at that time. But I thought, well, this will be fun. I'll do it. And uh, it, it, it turned out to be really easy for me. I just sat down with those lyrics and, and wrote out the music, and it became the show Mother Earth, which we premiered at South Coast Repertory Theater um, uh, in 1969, I believe, 1970, right around 1969, 1970. And um, at the night we premiered it down there, in South, which, by the way, South Coast Repertory Theater went on to become a Tony Award-winning regional theater. In but at that time it was run out of basically a storefront. In fact, Tony, I live here in Costa Mesa, so you know where I'm at with South Coast Repertory and all here in our backyard. Absolutely, and can you believe the gorgeous <laughs> theater they have now? Oh, I know, I know. 
and you were talking about you, you were talking about uh, Balboa Point. You're the, the whole remodeling that. The next time you come out, you'll just shake your head what they're doing with this whole area again. Oh, I'd love to see. Oh. I'd love to see. It's been a long time now. My sister lives in Newport Beach. Okay, yeah. But I haven't actually been down there on the peninsula or out, you know, on Balboa Island yeah. where I used to have a little apartment there yeah. when I was young and first moved out there. I haven't been down there in a long time. She lives up on the bluff oh. overlooked. Oh, yeah. 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 So anyway, at that time, South Coast Rep was just run out of a storefront. But the night we premiered Mother Earth, we had the L.A. Times, we had the Orange County Register, we had Variety and Hollywood Reporter critics there, and they all gave it rave reviews. So what happened was, here we were, Ron and I, who really didn't know anything about professional theater, we just did it for the love of it, and all these people you know, purported directors, producers came down and started, you know, talking to us about wanting to put on the show. And uh, this one guy, um, he came up and he said, he came down and he said, I can get this show to Broadway. You know, I know I can get it to Broadway. Just sign here. Well, I learned the biggest lesson I've learned in my whole career right then. And thank God I learned it then instead of later because Ron and I didn't have an attorney. We just looked over the contract and went, okay. <laughs> we thought this is what, you, you know, everybody did. Sure. And it turned out that we signed away creative control to this guy. His name was Ray Golden. And, um, you know, he promptly started wanting to make changes to what we were doing. We had written what we thought was a very lovely and hopeful and and uh, meaningful, uh, uh, you know, play about saving the earth, because at th that time people were starting to think about ecology and the things we were doing that were wrong for the earth. Mm -hmm. He wanted to sex it up, I guess. He wanted the, the gals in the chorus to wear hot pants. Oh, boy. Stuff like, I mean, he just turned it into something it wasn't. I just hated it. And when we'd say, I don't want, I'd say to him, and Ron would say, no, we don't want to do that. He'd say, you can't stop me. I have creative control. See, it says right here. So that was just a heartbreak for me. But anyway, that's a backstory. Now, we did the first professional production of it in San Francisco. Um, and it was in 1971 at the Marines Memorial Theater. And... Um, uh, we needed a new keyboard player after that run because we were going to take it down to Los Angeles. And uh, the keyboard player we had in San Francisco couldn't go with us. So somebody recommended a guy who had been with the Beach Boys as a backup musician for, you know, five, six years. And the Beach Boys were taking some time off the road and he was available. So um, I sent down uh, to him a, uh, a recording of the songs I had written with me singing them. And uh, he flew up to audition for me. And um, I, I walked into the Marines Memorial, the theater of the, lob of the lobby of the theater, uh, the day I was supposed to audition him. And he was sitting there. He was skinny as a rail because he was totally into macrobiotic diet at that time. And he was all dressed in black. Everything was black. And he was kind of slumped down on, on one of the seats there with his arms crossed. And I just thought, wow, this is, I've never seen a man quite like this. 
Uh, and he had he had dark glasses on the whole thing. And uh, so then um, we we went over to the piano. We went into the theater into the piano, and he started playing through the score. And I could see that he was terrific. He knew exactly what he was doing. But then he made me laugh because sometimes in the middle of playing something, he'd throw another song in there, like a little musical joke that he'd throw in, and then he'd go right back to the what he was supposed to be doing. And I thought, you know, this guy has a, an interesting sense of humor. And I thought something something might be going on, at least with me. Um, he was, you know, I couldn't tell anything that was going on with him. Um, but, uh, of course, then that later... Uh, when Mother Earth, at least I left Mother Earth, um, it went on uh, without me, with all the changes that this man had made. But um, uh, Daryl and I started working in clubs, and then when the Beach Boys were ready to go back on the road, out on the road, he said, look, they need a keyboard player. Um, and uh, um, Carl Wilson called me and said, uh, can you come and substitute for their regular guy who's taking a year off to, uh, to go get his college degree, finish his degree? And uh, and I said, oh, wow. And he said, well, um, I told him I recommended you. And I said, but, Daryl, I'm a girl. He said, that doesn't care. <laughs> Carl doesn't care. I told him you could do it, and he, you know, he knows that I know what I'm talking about. So I actually went on the road with the Beach Boys, uh, and they had never heard me play until the sound check for the first concert in Binghamton, New York, and they went strictly on Daryl's word. So that was how I got my first experience playing in a rock band on stage, which was kind of amazing when I realized I looked back to my 10 years of classical piano with Miss Lily Byron Gill, my wonderful piano teacher, and there I was playing Beach Boy tunes. It was pretty fun. You just answered my question about the relationship between the Beach Boys and the kind of music you were doing there and your classical background. Well, you know, the great thing about the classical background, well, first of all, it, it, you know, it, it, it gives you good um, technique, although I was pretty lazy and I didn't practice as much as I should have. I, I mostly would just go through the, through the classical books. I was a good sight reader, and I would just go through and, and read stuff and just play for fun, and then, of course, I'd go back and Miss Gill would say, you need to go back to your scales, you, need, you know, okay. <laughs> but the great thing was that I learned to read music, which was a huge huge help to me in my later career and also when I was working with the Beach Boys because it was written out what I was going to play and I was able to sit down and sight read it and Daryl took me through the songs that I'd need for the two weeks before we left to go on tour so I was prepared um, when I went there but I was still kind of apprehensive uh, about what they would think I mean I knew Carl was all right with it you know he was the uh, Brian Wilson's middle brother, and then there was Dennis, mm -hmm. who was the youngest brother. Um, but I wasn't sure how the rest of the band would take to having a woman on stage with the Beach Boys. But once they knew I could play and I could read music and I was actually a musician, um, they were fine with it. So uh, the classical training was absolutely uh, an essential to the rest of my career. So it was a good foundation. Absolutely, absolutely. And then when I was at Auburn and I sang with the Auburn Knights Big Band, which my father had been the first vocalist with that band when he was in college there, um, the guys there taught me to write lead sheets. And lead sheets are basically just 
uh, you write out the melody, and then instead of writing all the notes for the chords and accompaniment, you write chord symbols, chord changes. So uh-huh. you, can, you can play along and you can improvise if, if, you know, if that's what you like to do. But that simplifies when I was writing my own songs, I could just sit down and write down the chord changes instead of having to write out the whole piano part. Phew. Well, you're taking my breath away. (laughs) (laughs) You know, another funny thing was they never even knew I could sing, the Beach Boys. They didn't hire me for that. Uh, They hired me to play key play acoustic piano but you know eventually uh, one or the other of them would get laryngitis or have trouble with their voice and they'd say well, can you sing this part and I'd say yeah <laughs> so here I'm singing you know with Little Deuce Coop and Barbara Ann and all those things it was kind of fun very fun you had an extraordinary I'll, I'll call it um a stratum, <laughs> the best I can come up with. Oh. You had an extraordinary stratum between uh, the Beach Boys and getting married and getting into different parts of your life. So I'm going to ask you, why did you write the book and give me the preliminaries to your marriage? Okay. <sighs> Let's see. I'm going to try to condense it because it, you know, it took a long time to write it. To me, it's it's very nuanced and subtle in many ways, and I was hoping to write it so people would understand. Uh, why? Let's see. Why did I write it? Well, let's see. Or should I start with the marriage? Well, I was I was totally by this time. By the time we were out with the Beach Boys, totally enamored of Daryl. Um, I was falling in love with him. Um, I had no idea how he felt about me, except I did know he thought I was a, a he thought I was a great singer and a really fine songwriter and, and musician. That I knew, um, but I didn't sense that he was feeling about me like I was feeling about him. And um, the way I could express how I felt about him was writing songs. Uh, one of the first ones I wrote for him was a song called "The Way I Want to Touch You." which actually became our second million-selling single. Um, and, uh, you know, another song later on, Do That To Me One More Time, which became um, a number one single for us. But this is how I kind of was trying to tell Daryl how I felt about him uh, with being not wanting to just say it. Uh, the funny thing was, years later, I found out that he never listened to the lyrics. <laughs> he, he was only a music guy, so... He, he said, you know, I never read those lyrics. And I went, well, okay. But um, we, we started working together in clubs in between Beach Boy tours. And um, we, we, we finally got ourselves a record deal. I'm trying to condense this down uh, with A&M Records. And um, they were terrific because uh, we, we chose them. Actually, we had our choice of several labels, finally, after years of working in clubs. We finally had our choice of labels, and we chose A&M because they were the only one who would allow us to produce our own first album without the assistance of a staff producer. And Earl and I both knew that our sound was Daryl's producing and keyboards, and my voice, of course, but it was his producing that made our records kind of pop out of the radio. He just knew how to do that. And A&M said, if you do your first album and it's successful, uh, 
then you can go on from then on, and you can do all of them on your own. If it's not successful, then we'll have a staff producer work with you. So we thought that was fair. We thought it was fair. And, of course, it turned out we never needed the staff producer because the first album was so successful. But we had our first hit uh, in 75 with Love Will Keep Us Together. And at that point, uh, Daryl and I were living together. And we were not married. We were living together. But people thought we were married. And A&M wanted to keep that thought out there. Um, So they, without our knowing it, um, had their publicity department put out a a statement that Daryl and I had been married on Valentine's Day, uh, which we hadn't. We weren't married at all, and then we did. We only knew about it when we started getting letters from fans who said, "Oh, you were married on Valentine's Day. Oh, that's so sweet." And then they started sending us, you know, pillows embroidered with our wedding date and all that. And, and nobody told you this ahead of time. No, they just did it. <laughs> and and so there we were living together, not married. And of course, I I I would have gone for it if he'd asked me. But he didn't. Um, we, you know, we, we, I just still at that time, although we were living together, could not figure out him. And, of course, as you read in the book, it took me a long time and before I realized I was never, ever going to fi- figure him out. But um, our accountant <laughs> told us that uh, we would do a lot better with our taxes if we were married, and we you know, we were making a, quite a bit of money at that time, and so we did. We got married. Um, but we got married um, kind of under the radar, and that, at that time we had not, we didn't have our own television show yet. We'd, we'd guessed it on a few shows, but we weren't that recognizable yet. So what we did was uh, fly up to um, northern Nevada, and then from there we drove to Virginia City, Nevada, uh, to get married uh, just quietly. And uh, what we didn't realize was that the day we had chosen was Veterans Day, and all of the public offices were closed. The government offices were closed. Mm-hmm. So we're up there in Virginia sitting going, oh, my, what are we going to do? Well, what we found a clerk that was working anyway. She was working overtime, and she agreed to get us a license and uh, – we said, well, we need somebody to marry us. And uh, she said, well, you know, the judge, the justice of the peace is in one of the saloons. Just walk up and down and you'll find him in one of them. And we found him and uh, we said, well, could you marry us? And he said, yeah. He said, go down to the Silver Queen Saloon. There's a little wedding chapel there and I'll meet you there in a, in a few minutes. And, you know, that's exactly what happened. We got married and it just felt like it, it was hard to believe. He said, you know, once we said our vows, took about five minutes, he said, well, you'll get the certificate in the mail. And we did. And then we were officially married. But it was Veterans Day in November 11th, 1974, 1974. not Valentine's Day. So there you go. You Let me remind people, we're talking with Tony Tennille. She has written a book. It's brand new. She's in the second printing already. Tony Tennille, a memoir, and what is a joy for our audience is that no, not only is it in print, but it's in audio. And you can check barnesandnoble.com 
You can check Amazon.com, and as Tony said, check your library. And that's a great suggestion. Thank you. We, we, never, we always forget the library. Well, and you I'm know, just, and not everybody has the money to go out and buy a book. Um, that's true. But, and and that's if it's true. not, I'll tell you right now, if it's not in your library now, um, because, you know, I think they were kind of uh, shocked that they had to go into a second printing so fast. Um, but it will be soon, and all you have to do is talk to your librarian and say, this is a book I'd really like to, to read, and, and they'll, they'll get it in. It may not be there right now, but it will be pretty soon. Yeah. Say. Oh, Tony, I, I know that we've got some time constraints, and I've got a thousand. I'm only on page two. <laughs> Well, I can go um, with you for a few more minutes there. Oh, I'm, I'm so glad. I, I want to talk a little bit about your marriage, which was a yeah. very unusual situation, and you made a choice in 2015. Well, actually, I 14, made... 14, actually. 2013, 14. 14. Uh, actually, what happened was um, I had... You know, I was raised in a very, very loving family, uh, you know, no matter what trials and tribulations we went through, we all loved each other. I have three wonderful sisters who are all accomplished women uh, of whom I'm very proud, and we all support each other through whatever we go through. Daryl was raised quite differ- differently. His father was a very, very famous at that time symphony conductor, arranger, Academy Award winner uh, for scoring, scoring of Cover Girl with Rita Hayworth. Uh, he conducted all over the world. Uh, but he was very, very hard on his kids, and from very critical, critical all the time of all of them, the three boys and the two girls. And uh, what, from what I could see when I was around the family, uh, there was no affection shown. Uh, Daryl's mother, of course, adored him and, and his siblings, but she suffered from uh, a deep depression. And, uh, and, and for the last probably 20 years of her life, um, she was not emotionally available to, to the kids. So <clears throat> uh, he just was raised differently. He had, no, he, was, he had no experience of loving and being loved openly and giving, giving and receiving love. So, of course, me, I thought, I can fix this. You know, this is a brilliant man. He's a genius in many ways. And I just thought I can bring him out so that he can experience, you know, joy, musical joy, the great thrill that I feel when I'm writing or singing or listening uh, to music. And I thought I could, you know, open up his heart. And I tried and I tried and I tried and Finally, after you know many years, I realized it was not going to happen, and then I had to try to figure out what I was going to do about it. And about that time, a little before that time, actually, um, we decided to move to Prescott, Arizona, and I decided to retire uh, from performing and uh, just drop out of sight. That was my decision. I thought. Um, I could just live a kind of a normal life, uh, keep myself under the radar. I didn't do any national interviews the entire eight years I lived there um, because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do about my marriage. Um, I, I, I still adored Daryl, but I couldn't. I was just, it was like beating your head up against a, a 
a, a wall. I was just getting nowhere, and it was bringing me down. I was, I've always been a positive person, and I felt myself going into the negativity that Daryl always uh, exuded. That was his life. He was a negative person, and I felt myself going down with him. And when I dared to think of what my life would be like if I stayed with him, I just saw myself becoming an old, old, bitter woman, and uh, I didn't like that. I didn't want that. So um, I got a lot of help in making the decision that to, that I needed to make to, to, to leave him eventually. From my family, always supportive. I had great, I have great women friends over the years that I trust, uh, that I've known for a long time, uh, several of them in Prescott. I call them my council of wise women. And we would often come to each other and, you know, and, and talk and talk things out. They were a big help. And then there was a fabulous uh, therapist there in Prescott that I w- went to see for uh, many months before I finally made my decision. But mm-hmm. one of the things she she said to me one day that really just um, opened my eyes and made me know it was it was time, she said, Tony, why you know what you want to do. Why are you not doing it? And I said, Gudrun, I said, I am really worried about how devastated some of our fans will be because they have always thought of us as the perfect couple and we could prove we proved that love could conquer all and all that kind of thing. And I said, I just, 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 I, it just hurts me to have to, admit that I, I, we couldn't do that. And she said to me, Tony, she said, this is your life. It's not their life. Yes, there are a lot of them that will be very disappointed and even sad, some maybe even devastated, but they will go on with their lives, and you have a right to go on with yours as you, as you want to. You have a right to find your happiness. And that's when I knew that I could do it. And she was right. That's exactly what happened. Um, and but but I do want to say that Daryl and I have always remained friendly with with each other. I talk to him every week or ten days or so to check on him and see how he's doing because I care about him. Yeah. And and the funny thing is that I'm finding out that he seems to be doing not only just fine but maybe even a little better uh, now that I'm not there because he's starting to take steps on his own to do things that I was never able to help him do. So, um, and I'll tell you another thing. When Caroline and I were in New York a a little over a week ago, week and a half ago, and uh, one of the shows I did was the Today Show. And on the way... Uh, back to the airport, so Caroline and I we were going to fly home, I called him to see how he was doing. And he said, well, I just saw you on the Today Show this morning. And I said, you did? And he said, yes. And I said, well, what did you think? And he said, I was proud of you. So, and Caroline could hear it because we were in the back of the car and he could, yeah. he could hear him. And we both just kind of looked at each other and went, oh, what? he's never said that kind of thing to me ever. 
he never said he loved me the whole time we were together. So that was that was a big jump, a big leap for him, and I was so touched by it. Um, so I think he's I think he's going to do just fine. I really do. I think it was kind of a a wake up for him when I finally uh, when I finally left. Yeah. Amazing story. Just an amazing story. Before you go, oh my gosh, I'm down to page three. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know if I have that long. <laughs> we're, we're making progress here. People who listen to us and to li- who listen to the interviews know that I, I show up with 28 pages <laughs> for people. I love it. I love it. I really do. Well, uh, you've answered many of them along the way, so um, I feel vindicated here a little bit. <laughs> Tell me about the Tony, uh, the Captain and Tennille show. How did that come about? Well, you know, we had guested on uh, a lot of shows, and there were summer mu- summer uh, series, uh, musical series at that time that some people had. And um, uh, John Davidson had one, and we guested on his. And, uh, you know, we did the Carol Burnett show, and we did things like that. And, um, and so we were approached by ABC, uh, Fred Silverman, who was vice president of entertainment there, there at that time, uh, to do a television show of our own. And um, uh, our, our record company, A&M, did not really want us to do that because they thought that if we were seen in everybody's homes um, every week, that uh, some of our, I don't know, mystery, not that we had any mystery, uh, but anyway, uh, they thought it would cut into our record sales if people could see us all the time on TV. Uh, but we thought, I mean, I loved the idea because, you know, my mother had had a talk show when I grew up watching her do her talk show in Alabama uh, back in, ni- in the 1950s, and I did theater my whole life. I was very comfortable uh, on stage uh, but Daryl was not, um, and the negotiations took quite a while because ABC first wanted us to do 60% comedy skits and 40% music, and I thought, why get us? We're music people. Yeah. Um, but that's what they wanted, so we, you know, we argued back and forth, and the attorneys did anyway, and we ended up doing, they, we agreed to 50-50, which was not our, our ideal, but you know, we'll, we we started there. Um, the problem was Daryl uh, was never comfortable in the front, even when he worked in clubs with his uh, with his brothers. You know, in Malibu before you know anybody. You know, before we, he ever met me, um, he never wanted to be in the front. He was always the guy in the back with all the keyboards, and one of his brothers did all the singing and fronting of the group. Uh, so. Um, when you know when we started working together that's the way he liked it i would be the person who talked to the audience and he would be the keyboard genius you know back in the back who did everything but when we went on television well he had to he had to stand right up there with me he had to be you know uh sunny and share he had to be sunny that was yeah. kind of what was expected and he was general genuinely uncomfortable um, uh, the the writers, you know, tried their best to figure figure out what to do with Daryl because he had no, you know, no skills or or experience at all of doing any kind of comedy other than other than the things that he just did naturally that were that were kind of funny because they were so offbeat and weird. Um, 
But eventually they kind of came up with things that, that sort of worked for him. But Daryl was miserable. He, he'd never seen a cue card in his life, much less read one. So, you know, he had to read cue cards. He had to learn lines. Um, he just, he was pretty miserable with it. So although I was enjoying it, it was very hard work, but I was enjoying, you know, all the wonderful guests we had and the songs and the music. Uh, he was not enjoying it. And uh, I spent a lot of my energy trying to, you know, keep him positive and up and yeah. going through the whole thing. And it didn't work. No, you know, we we had, well, actually, um, he, halfway through our first season, he, he said, I'm not doing it anymore. And I said, Daryl, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's only halfway through. We have a contract for a year. He said, I, I can't do it anymore. So we flew out to New York uh, to, to, to meet with uh, Fred Silverman and tell him that we wanted off the show because I couldn't do anything about it if Daryl didn't want to do it. I couldn't mm-hmm. do it by myself. Uh, but Fred said, look, he said, um, here's a list of producers. We had had a, a really good producer, but he was old school. You know, he, 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 he brought in a lot of brilliant, famous stars like Jackie Gleason and George Burns and Bob Hope. Uh, but um, he, those were kind of the, the older school of, of comedians and guests. And, uh, you know, I think that uh, we kind of wanted more emphasis on music and some of the younger acts that were coming up. So one of the persons on the list that Fred gave us of potential producers for the second half of, show, of the show was Dick Clark. And Daryl and I immediately said, that's who we want. Because Dick had always, you know, through his American bandstand, been kind of the conduit between teenagers and their dubious families who were kind of worried about the music <laughs> that the teenagers were dancing to and you know, of course, it's nothing yeah. compared to what it is now. But at that time, you know, it was considered, a lot of it was considered kind of scandalous and risque by the parents. Um, so Dick would be the perfect one to produce, and he had, he knew all the acts, all the up-and-coming acts, and because of him we were able to get a lot of great, um, of the younger, uh, the current top 40 type guests on the show. And Daryl liked that a little bit better, but he was never that happy. Uh, so what we did, we, we finished after the first year. He said, I'm not going to continue anymore. But we did agree to do three specials for ABC, and we did one one a year uh, for the next three years. For three years? Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm going to ask you in just a minute about Muskrat Love and Henry Kissinger, but I Dear. can't bypass. Yeah, that's a great story. Um, Tony Tamil Show. In 1980. Oh, yeah. How did that come about? And tell me about it. Well, Bob Eubanks, uh, who was, uh, you might remember from the dating game, those kinds Mm -hmm. of silly things that he had, but he was a wonderful producer, and he approached me about doing my own talk show. And, you know, my mother had had one. I'd watched her all the years. She did it live, half hour, five days a week on WSFA-TV, the NBC affiliate uh, in Montgomery, Alabama. And um, so uh, I thought, well, this will be fun. I'd love to do this. So um, we put together the show, and it was to be syndicated. And syndication, um, when it's not on a network, as you probably know, uh, every station can carry it at a different time. Mm -hmm. And they don't always carry it at the time 
time that you would wish for them to do. I thought of my show as a like a late afternoon show. Uh, it had lots of music. Um, that, to me, would have been the ideal time, like 4 o'clock, somewhere around in there in the afternoon. But some, you know, now in New York, they carried it at that time, and it was a, a really very successful in New York. But then another station would carry it at 2 o'clock in the morning, and then one would carry it at 10 o'clock in the morning, and it yeah. never could find um, its, uh, its audience because it was scattered all over the place. But I will tell you that that show... The, for the one year that we were on, and I'm telling you, everybody in that cast and crew, the band, everybody loved that show and worked so hard on it. I am proudest of that show than just about anything I ever have done in my career. Uh, I'm sorry it didn't go on uh, longer, uh, but uh, television, daytime television was, was changing then. Uh, it was starting to become reality-type shows. And in one of my last shows, uh, the producers brought in a, they wanted me to reunite a couple of adult uh, people with their birth mother who they'd never met right there on television. And I was really uncomfortable with that because I thought of that as something private that should not be out there, you know, for other people to see. But that's just because of the kind of person I am. But I kind of sensed where things were going, and then, of course, it just became the crazy reality things that we have today. Yeah. You are a fabulous interviewer. Thank you. You know, I, I learned do mean that. a lot of that from and my mom. She was great at that. Well, <laughs> maybe she got some of it from you as well, but, I mean, really dynamite. And I found the interview that you did with Daryl in oh, 1980. Not, oh, dear. You know, I mean, he was... A background person, he rarely talked, he was uncomfortable in front of people, and you had a marvelous interview with him. Did you think so? I I absolutely did. I was so nervous interviewing him because, honestly, I never knew what he was going to say or what direction he was going to go in because often he would just go off on some tangent and... That had nothing to do with what I had asked him. So uh, I, I guess it did come out pretty well, but i got to tell you, I could interview the Queen of England and not be as nervous as I was trying to interview him. <laughs> well, it, Tony, it didn't show. Oh. And I knew from having read your book huh. that this was probably an ex- uh, really an extreme challenge for you to do this. It was. And it was, like, just cool. Everything was just cool. He answered your questions. He pondered yeah. the answers. The questions you asked were great. And for anyone who wants to see this, it is up on YouTube. It's Tony Tenniel interviewing Daryl, or Captain, as yeah. many people know him. And it was the yeah. Tony Tenniel show. Um, it really is worth a trip, and I just loved it. So that, well, that is great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was really, really terrific. <laughs> Tell me about Muskrat Love. Oh, boy. (laughs) Well, Muskrat Love was written by a guy uh, from Texas named Willis Allen Ramsey. And it had first been recorded by a group called America. And uh, that record came out when Daryl and I were working in clubs. We didn't have any hits. We were just, you know, your top 40 band trying to make a living and used to listen to Top 40 Radio all the time to find new new songs to do. 
uh, we were doing Elton John and Carly Simon and Carol King and Billy Joel, and we kept looking for new songs. And we were driving to the club one night, and I was listening, and I went, wait a minute, that song, I was put my ear close to the radio, I said, I think this is a song about muskrats, something about <laughs> muskrats being in love. And I said, Daryl, i got to go find this, this sheet music and see what those lyrics were. So the next day I, I went, and I, at that time you could still buy sheet music in the record store, and we went there and found the sheet music for Muskrat Love. I started reading it, and I started laughing out loud. I said, this is hysterically funny. Why don't we work up a little, you know, work up an arrangement and try it out in the club? We were working in the smokehouse that time in, at the San, in the San Fernando Valley and um, in Encino. And um, so we did. We worked up the, the arrangement, and Daryl, you know, created the muskrat voices, and we tried it out in the club, and people went nuts for it. Um, they, they, I mean, we could have done it six, seven times a night if we'd wanted to. But I, I finally said, look, to the audience, we're going to do it once early in the evening, and we're going to do it again later in the evening, and that's it, twice a night. So we knew it was really popular. People got a kick out of it. And we ended up putting it on, I think it was our second album. I think it was our second album. Because I said, you know, Daryl, people, people enjoyed this so much in the club. Let's just put it on the album and see what happens. Uh, so to make a long story short, I can't, it's just going to take a long time to go into it. It became the third biggest selling hit single we ever had. And uh, left after that, uh, we had two hits at the time off that album. We had, uh, no, at our first album, we had Love Will Keep Us Together and The Way I Want to Touch You. So those were the only two hits we had. But we were invited to uh, perform at the White House uh, by President and Mrs. Mrs. Ford, along with Bob Hope, uh, for the bicentennial celebration. Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip would be there, and uh, the Prime Minister and his wife, and all kinds of dignitaries. And uh, so we were pretty excited about it, but worried about what songs we should do, because, like I said, we only had two hits that anybody would know. Uh, we had, you know, an album out, but... Uh, the hits, and, and I thought, well, you know, Love Will Keep Together, that's good for the White House. And I thought, but, you know, the way I want to touch you might be just a little risque, maybe, for the White House. Uh, so I was pondering what to do when um, Mrs. Ford walked into our sound check. What a lovely lady she was. She was just, she kind of glowed. I remember she was wearing this lovely yellow linen suit, and she just looked wonderful. And she came over to chat with me, and she said, well, what are you going to play tonight? And I said, well, we're thinking, of course, you will do Love Will Keep Us Together. And she said, well, you're going to do The Way I Want to Touch You, aren't you? <laughs> and I said, well, uh, and I kind of stumbled around a little bit, and she said, but you must. That's Jerry and mine's favorite song. And I went, okay. Uh. <laughs> so I said, well, of course, we'll be happy to do it for you. So I went back and I, you know, I told the band, I said, hey, we're going to do the way I want to touch you. She, she, Mrs. Ford requested it. So then I thought, I said, well, you know, that, they, they sound pretty hip around this White House. Why don't we throw in muskrat love? I mean, you know, muskrat love in White House, smokehouse, what difference there? all just people. So naturally, it didn't go quite as I thought, because when I was singing, 
the, the East Room is where we were. It's a very small room. It's mostly suited for acoustic performances, you know, like a, an opera singer with a piano or maybe a jazz trio. And here we were with all our speakers and everything turned down to zero, thanks to the Secret Service. But anyway, so I'm, I'm playing along, uh, and the front row, just eight feet in front of me, uh, right in front of me where I sat at, the, at my keyboard. Um, and there was Queen Elizabeth, Prince Philip, and there was the Prime Minister and his wife, and there was Henry and Nancy Kissinger, and there I was. And I started singing Muskrat Love, and um, I started, I took a look at the look on Dr. Kissinger's face, and I knew I was in trouble, because he was not amused, and uh, he made it very evident that he couldn't wait to get out of there. And in the meantime, I'm trying to keep playing and smiling and thinking, oh, my God, what did I do? Uh, and anyway, we, we did, I got through the song, and, you know, when Daryl played those muskrat sounds, Dr. Kissinger just looked like he couldn't, he wanted to be anywhere but where he was. But <laughs> as soon as we, we finished the song and, uh, you know, uh, Prince Philip and Queen Elizabeth, you know, came to say hello and President and Mrs. Ford, and I never saw Henry Kissinger again. He was out of that room so fast, I never saw him leave. But I got, I got, I got my, uh, my, my uh, revenge on him, you could say, because after that, for the rest of my life, every time I performed Muskrat Love, I dedicated it to Henry Kissinger. So <laughs> I don't think he even knows of, of the relationship between him and the Muskrats, but I kind of need to think about it. I hope someone has told him along the way. <laughs> I do too, but I'm, he was just—he was just—I could tell he just couldn't stand it. But that's okay. Fussy, fussy, fussy. I know. Come on, get a life. Oh my gosh, yes. Oh my gosh, yes. I have one more question, and I have overstayed our welcome, and I apologize for that. <laughs> what is your one more? I can't believe there's anything else in my life we don't know already. Oh, Tony. <laughs> oh, yes, there is. I want you to tell me, please, the the most memorable song for your listeners, for you, for Daryl, for anybody. What is the one that comes when I ask that? Well, you know, it depends on what part of my life and my relationship with Daryl um, that, I mean, because I love all of our songs. I really do. And, and the ones I wrote, I wrote many for Daryl, not just the two that, that were hit singles, but many, many others um, expressing kind of my longing and my yearning for him that I could never fulfill. But um, probably the first one that I wrote for him ever, The Way I Want to Touch You, um, if you listen to that and, and you've read the book and you know my story, um, you will kind of feel what I was feeling during that time. Yes, and I can understand that when you're in Florida now. You are no longer in Prescott. You are no longer anywhere else, but you're ours. That's right. I'm yours, and I'm my sister Jane's. I'm just an hour, an hour, a mile and a half from her. We can walk to each other's houses. So uh, we're having a wonderful time, and my co-author and niece Caroline just lives 20 minutes away in, in Orlando. So she and I are getting ready to head to Los Angeles on Tuesday for five more days of media. So 
Oh. Wow. Well, that is so cool. We have been talking with Tony Tenille. She is the author, along with her niece, Carolyn. Carolyn or Caroline? Am I pronouncing Caroline. Sweet Caroline. Caroline. Okay, thank you. Um, Tony Tenille, a memoir. And you can find it at Amazon.com. You can find it at BarnesandNoble.com. You can probably find it in their brick-and-mortar store as well. And watch for it in your library. It's going to be popping up all over the place. And it really was a great read. It, it kind of took my breath away in a couple of places, Tony, I have to tell you that. Thank but, you very um, much. I think, I think it was meant to because you shared so much of yourself. So that's it. Tony, I thank you so much for spending so much time with us and sharing so much of yourself. And thank you to your sister Jane, because I know the two of you are, you, you just feed off each other. You are synergy. We're very close. My whole family is very close, but Jane and I have lived, five, uh, let's see, 3,000 miles apart for most of our lives, for 50 years actually. So it, now it's time that she and I be, are, are close together. So that's what we're doing now, and we're loving I'm, it. I'm, I'm so delighted to hear that. Tony, thank you so much for spending time with us, and have a wonderful life. Yes, you too. And, and Walden, I don't know if he's still there. I am. Oh, and thank you, Walden. Oh, it's been a joy. Thank you so much, and we'll get the radio shows out to you. Sounds good. Thank you so much. Bye, Tony. And there we go, everybody. All right. Let's get over to Patricia. Jaws Professional Patricia from FL Home, Bill Brad, Alt Tab, Skype Trademark Tab, Online Tab, Walton Hughes Tab, Search Edit, Active Favorites, Martin Edclude, Patricia from Applications, Con, Send, Invite to Enter, Leaving Menus, Patricia Unloading, jo- Cancel, OK, Enter, Patricia. Alright, and we'll be back on the air with Patricia. She'll pick it up and say, what? What? Hello, Hello, Florida. Hello, Florida. How are we? We're super, and you can talk to the adorable one at 714-545-2071. This is our second half of the show, you know? it's only, quarter or <laughs> only two minutes before two o'clock in the morning. Yeah, I'm 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 the lucky guy who can call Patricia early in the morning. Yeah, forever. <laughs> <laughs> you are the only one. <laughs> oh well, my dear, was it, did you get a chance to hear a little more of the interview, or did you get monks away, or I didn't. I went and got a snack, Good. and then I got your. Awful questions ah, and stuff like that there. Preparing. But I have, some, I have some fun things to share with you. Oh, I'm all yours. Do you recall, of course you recall, because you've been talking about it at different times, how currency is falling out of favor and everybody pays yes. with plastic in one form or another? Yep. Well, I got proof uh, for your pudding last Uh-oh. week. Okay. I know. I went to the pharmacy drive through mm-hmm. and she told me how much it was, and I took, um, a, I don't know, a 20 and a 10 or something like that out right. of my wallet. And I, but in, when you're sitting in a drive through the wind goes through. So Uh-oh. I put my hand 
the window came out, and I put my hand there, and she said, it's okay, you can just leave it there. I said, it's going to blow away. She said, oh, it's money. <laughs> <laughs> she thought I was passing her a credit card, so there you go. You are validated. I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> Only, money. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't have been funny. I mean, it would have been amusing, but it wouldn't have been funny except that you have talked about that so many times. Yeah. And I said, oh, my gosh, he's right. (laughs) (laughs) And you were. Do you know what we missed? What? Well, we missed a lot of stuff. What do we miss? We missed what? I, I should have saved this for my baseball question. One day every year... Every major league player wears the number 42 on his shirt. Mm-hmm. April 15th. Tif- April 15th, and it's Jackie Robinson Day, because that's the number that Jackie Robinson wore. So it's the honor is Jackie Robinson. I think that was, it was apparently, according to the information I have anyway, it's only 12 years old because mm-hmm. it was initiated right. in 2004. Right. And I looked at that, and I thought, what a wonderful way to honor a wonderful person. Everybody wears number 42. Absolutely. Absolutely. I I just, it was one of those that touches me. You know, a lot of stuff touches me lately. You know, know, he was a better, baseball was not his best sport. What was it? Oh, football. I mean, he was a he was a major superstar when he went to college at UCLA. You know, football, track, a lot of different things. You know, before before World War Two, and you know, baseball was not his best sport, but he made it to the Hall of Fame. Whoa! <laughs> <laughs> He's in the Hall of Fame. Everybody honors him one day a year. Mm-hmm. And he had a really hard time getting up through the ranks, and well, it, um, and you know he made he he made a deal with Branch Rickey. He said well, he's for the first year he's going to have to take it, and mm-hmm. he did. He honored that commitment, but he was the most fiery competitor after that first year. He was uh, notorious for being a bench jockey and everything else, and. Even to the day he died, he could tell he had that fire, that guts and brimstone inside him. Yeah. Oh, my. Well, I've got a list. And, and he he kept his mouth shut. That was part of the deal. Right. Don't fight back. Right. And, boy, oh, boy, did he go through some awful stuff. He did. And he, he did. never fought back. No. He never fought back. Anyhow. It's so hard for me to understand this because makers were part of a different generation and makers I grew up in California, that this was not an issue that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. It's just, it, it it's almost just seems unreal that yeah. that we would have this kind of issues. And it's just, you know... Um, it's just one of those things that just amazes me. P.S. Well, I agree. And it has been historically a more northern problem than a southern problem. Right. 
also in Chicago and New York and sometimes Pennsylvania, you know, in that, in that tier across the top of the country. It has been an extraordinary problem. And it doesn't surprise me that California isn't because you truly are, I think, even more so than New York. You are the melting pot out there. Right. New York used to be because of Ellis Island and all of the immigrants coming through that section of the country. Now we're just all spread out all over the place like peanut butter on a piece of bread. My f- California is so progressive and such a melting pot that it doesn't surprise me at all. My 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 late friend Bud Granoff, who had 18 of the biggest singing stars and comedians in the late 40s and 50s, mm-hmm. and Lena Horn was one of his uh, clients. Mm-hmm. And I was having lunch with him, Dad and I were having lunch with him, and he said, honestly, the biggest... Issue they ever he ever had with 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 race with an issue was in the north. Deal with the mm-hmm. ho- with deal with the hotels in the northern state was a bigger problem than the south. And even in the north, she had to go through the kitchen to get on stage. It was just you know it's, it's a different time. What can I say? Oh God, isn't that awful? It is, and it was interesting. Um. When we, I was having lunch with Rex Stout's daughter, Rebecca, a couple of years ago. Um, that was her best friend, was Lena Horn's daughter. So they they went to school together. So I just yeah. wanted to throw that in. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Well, I, I've got something, I think, even worse than that. No, it can't be worse than that. Mm-hmm. I have some basic information that people need to know before they go out looking for a job. Okay, like uh, how much and how much time off? We could talk about how much, but Fortune Magazine ranked the 10 worst jobs in the country. You know, and I I remember the survey about six months, and what you and I do, it considered one of the worst jobs there is. Probably. Actually, they did, they did 200. I didn't. I only got the top or the bottom 10, as it as it yeah. might be. Let me see. Let me I, I was surprised. They 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 considered broadcasting one of the worst jobs, and I don't see. There it is number three. I I don't see that. Maybe because we're we're used to it. You know what I mean? I don't know. I don't consider this. Yeah. You know. And I don't know why. I don't have a reason. There must be a reason because I read a synopsis. There must be a reason put alongside of them, but I don't have it. Well, I think um, they may be considered stressful or something like that. I don't consider it stressful, but, you know, maybe because I've been doing public speaking since I was seven years old. I don't know. But yeah. it's just... You know, a broadcaster can cover a huge number of jobs. Correct. You've got CNN and us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean... We just sit here on Saturday nights and have a grand old time and love our family and yep. we get calls. And, yep. But when when you're out with an investigative reporter and he does the broadcasting from the field, and I'm using he in the mm-hmm. grammatical sense, right? Um, I can understand that. I can also understand why it's stressful because the median salary right down the middle is $37,000. Well, let's put it this way. I mean, being a war correspondent, I think they earn all their money. You know what I mean? 
I do indeed. Yeah. And I bet they were, I bet they earn more than $37,000. So with, with that as a median income, they're probably talking about much smaller markets, not network, work, work, work. Yep. Yep. And maybe radio. They would throw radio in there. As sure. As television. Oh well. But okay. In reverse order. If we would get 10, if we would get hmm? paid for this, I would, I think it, it'd be just you know it'd be just I'd super. Yes, I would too. <laughs> um, gee, don't tell anybody. I'd take less than that. I know. I know. But I'll go. We and, do. I'll I'll go and negotiate. I'll go and I'll go after. I'll go out for 60000 for you and I each and, you know. And work our way down uh-huh. from there. Yeah. Okay. I love that. Yeah. You're a good negotiator. <laughs> okay. Okay. The ten, the top ten worst jobs or the bottom ten, depending on how you look at it, mm-hmm. I'm going to go ten, nine, eight down that way. All right. So number ten is firefighter, nine, taxi driver, eight, advertising salesperson, I can figure that one. That one's pretty stressful. Mm-hmm. Uh, retail salesperson. That one surprised me. Worst job, retail salesperson. Mm-hmm. I hope folks are – this is really sad. I hope none of you out there belong in any of these categories. Number six, pest control worker. I would have thought that would be way worse than that, number six. Number five, enlisted military personnel, and it's specified enlisted military personnel. Why, 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 why? That's what I mean. This, this, this survey, in a lot of ways, that make, doesn't make sense. But I also believe sometimes we're born for certain positions, certain jobs and things in life. Not all of us have the potential to do what we want to do. And so if it's not a right fit, then you're not going to be happy. Indeed. You know? However, we have no idea who they surveyed and how they put this thing Correct. together. And that's why I'm just saying... Whether or not a pest control person really wants to be a pest control person, and some of them do, I guess. Means... But this one specified enlisted military personnel. Right. It didn't say drafted, didn't say generals, it didn't say, it just said enlisted mis- um, yep. military personnel. Now, that does not, or does it, include draftees? Well, draftees different because we haven't had a draft in years. And so this is from this point on, it's all listed. But remember, these are guys who be who wanted to go to the academies and became a general and officers. All those are enlisted people. Everybody's enlisted. That's right. That's, that's oh wait. Do when when we have ancillary people in the military, are they considered military personnel? Yes. And the answer is yes. Yes, they are. So enlisted military would be a correct term then. Mm-hmm. Okay, so that was number five. Number four, disc jockey. Number three, broadcaster. Number two, logger. Well, can I mean, really, guys? Yeah. You talk about a dangerous job. Right. Yes, a logger. And number one, worst job. Do you remember what it is? No, I don't. A newspaper reporter. Now, I got to tell you, mm -hmm. I need to talk to somebody at Fortune magazine on how they came up with these. What do you think? I don't think they should. I mean, to me, a lot more stressful and 
it's a lot of the medical field to me. True. That that it would be a tougher job than most of these. I'm sorry. I mean, I guess. You Do know. you know which in the medical profession? Now I'm going back a couple of years yeah. on this, so I'm hopeful that it's still Backlit. a correct statement. Which in the medical field is the most stressful? Has the most? It 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 it, it is just on a happy scale. It doesn't make it. Oh, dentist is number one. I understand that. that. Correct. Yeah. Dentist. I it's. I would have thought psychiatrists, and they are in there. They've got a very high uh, suicide rate and right. self-hurt rate. But, I mean, uh, I was just thinking yesterday, I was listening to some survey about some professions have a higher drug problem than others. And But I got thinking the accessibility of narcotics and things mm-hmm. in the medical field you know there's bound to be some uh, addiction issues just because of the sure. accessibility, and we forget that. And, you know, what I'm, what I'm trying to say, I don't really too put too much stock in this survey. I just think, uh, logically, there's other fields. I mean, for example, uh, a police officer. You don't see that here in the top ten. I would think in a lot of ways that's... Mm-hmm. That's more stressful than most of the job. You know, you're, I think you're you're hitting on the key here. This title was the worst jobs, but I don't know what they used as criteria in I, order uh, to make I, those judgments. I remember the survey. Nothing, it doesn't say anything about stress. It doesn't. Yeah. Say, maybe I should go back and look. I, I seem to remember part of the definition of this case of being well paid. Well, or not well paid. yeah, I pr- I would prefer to be in a job that's not well paid, that I'm happy, than that I love, yes, than 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 vice versa. It's just mm-hmm. you know, I agree. the The salaries are a little bit wonky here too, so it couldn't have been based on salary. Um, gee, I don't know. A disc jockey is number four. Let's see, firefighter is forty five thousand. Taxi driver twenty three thousand. This is annual mm-hmm. annual median salary, you know, right down the middle. And then we get to one that's even worse than taxi driver, but it's forty seven thousand. So salary apparently was not factored in there. Well, it must be a my guess is the an in, part of the index, but I don't remember all the factors in the index. Yeah. And they've even got growth outlook is all over the place. There's nothing consistent about growth outlook. Um, gee whiz. Well, anyway, don't be a pest control worker. Okay. Well, if you love to, if you love to work outside, you love to be around houses. Maybe it's the right job. Uh, indeed, for some yeah. people, uh-huh. it is the right job. I just don't want you in it. All right, you don't want me to... turning you loose with his hose and voice. <laughs> it's, it's not a pretty sight. <laughs> No, we don't, no, don't do that, okay? All right, my dear. Oh, you're so good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay, okay. What job Patricia would have hated to have done in her life? Hated? Uh Uh-huh. Oh, what an interesting thought. I would have hated being in an office environment strictly. You know, where, where you had to sit down and stay there and you were in a cubicle and... I, I had to 
and and still do, always do, have to have the ability to stand up and move. Mm -hmm. And so anything that confined me to a little space would have been unpalatable. So Patricia working in corporate America would not have been the right deal? Even with space, it probably (laughs) wouldn't have been a good idea. Gee, my my dad would have never made it in corporate America because he... He's very sociable. He likes being around people. Mm-hmm. Sticking him in a cubicle in an not office good. Not good. Would, would not be good. Not good. You know? That's what I mean. And you know? in that environment, you usually, or I would say predominantly, do not have much of a choice about the people you have to spend your day with. Also, because my mom still likes jobs in corporate America even today, the stress level has just gone off the roof because mm-hmm. since we've gone to computers, uh, it has to, <clears throat> there used to be this old saying they do call it, that a computer is going to make your life so much easier. Not only easier, it was going to cause an economic disaster because people would only have to work four days a week. Right. And that would impact the fuel industry. People wouldn't know what to do with their extra time. I mean, it was it was a domino. I, so what? I hope, it, that, I hope that professor is still alive. <laughs> so see, and that's what it means. It was the projection study. You just got through a lot of this with a grain of salt. And what mm-hmm. it, in the re, in the real world, what it's done, it created people to be machines. Cause all the 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 heads up now expect more productivity, and they want numbers. They want to create reports to look at numbers. And mm-hmm. oil charts and all, it's just a very, now it's, my mom said most computer offices in the company, too, it's gotten to the point they got two screens going now. So you're sitting oh, yeah. there, you get, sitting there and I'm, you got two screens because you're working on one and the other at the same time. It, it was such a hoot. I talked with one of the people I, I do work for in California. Mm-hmm. And we were talking the other day. He said, well, do you work with one screen or two? And I thought, Two screens? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> I can't, you know, my brain doesn't work like that. But he works on two screens all the time. Hello there, Carl. You're on air. Well, hello. Hi, Fred. Fred from Vermont. How are you? Oh, good. How are you guys? Good. Oh, good. Walden is still looking for our Christmas discussion. I got 20 more... I got 300, 320 more cassettes to transfer, so I'll find it. Fred <laughs> <laughs> person we talk about periodically who set Walden and me off one night. Yeah. And we couldn't stop laughing. Walden started sneezing. I had to excuse myself, and it was all Fred's fault. Hi, Fred. How are you? <laughs> 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 oh. Well, is a good thing. Yeah, it is. It is. My gosh. It was cleansing that night. <laughs> it was not good. It was like being at a spa for a week. You were so funny. So has spring come to Vermont? Oh, uh, depends on what day you're talking about. <laughs> oh, well, let's pick today for starters. Uh, yeah, it, was kind of, it was actually pretty springy today. It was like not too hot or not too cold. It was yeah, probably... 42. What was the temperature? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing. I didn't go out to later, but probably like mid-50s, low-50s, 
high forties. I knew it. For him there. I, I, I knew it. I think you we, need. We have to have classes on Saturday nights. I, I think you, we need to trademark. Fred could create a new word. I think we need to trademark this. I think the three of us can make some money. Springy. That's a very good one. I like that. Yes, okay. Springy weather. Springy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, usually we've been getting either too hot or too cold. Seems like and now you're going to really have a winter. How many more weeks you got before the semester's over? Uh, about six. Okay. Yeah, five or five or six. Then all of May. Well, we got one more week coming up at the end of April. Then we got all of May. I guess it, maybe it's yeah, about six. Then we got a week, two weeks in June. So maybe it's seven weeks. We're done June. And then what? What happens to you after the kids go home from school? I become unemployed for three months, basically. Oh dear. <laughs> well, maybe not. Uh, I, I you... every year, in some years, I get lucky and I put in for it again this year to get myself at least one kid for the summer. Or That's the what summer. I was going to ask if you can, if you have opportunities to tutor in the summer. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes in there, and sometimes I'll get a private gig, which is well, in today's economic times, that's even less. Yeah. It happens even less, yeah. but. When, a, when, a, when a student is having trouble and needs summertime help, what are the subjects that are most likely the troublemakers? Uh, it, it really depends. I mean, like, uh, a lot of times I used to get a lot of uh, um, math, math work for, for kids, like, getting ready to do their SATs. Uh-huh. Yes, it is. Uh, and some English too, like writing stuff. Uh, but most of it was math, and that was why I used to get a lot of that on the private side. Um, like I said, now I don't hardly get any of that. Mm-hmm. So, so, and then a lot of stuff I get now are kids that. It's the last time I had any summer work. I didn't have any last year. When I did two years ago, I worked until. Was this middle of July? With this one girl. It was, it was one girl, she, she had to finish up a class, basically. She didn't get it done during the year, so. Mm-hmm. Have, have, uh, well, she was being tutored by somebody else during the year. She missed so many tutoring sessions. That she didn't get the work done. She didn't get credit for a certain course. Yeah. She have, wanted credit, so they let her work into the summer on it. Night. So that was, that, that was U.S. history, I believe. My, That's my favorite thing to teach, right there. I know that. Yeah. My uh, my my one uh, cousin in Northern California can't help her son in math because they're teaching the new math, and they uh, all, again. And, yeah, and and the problem is the grade is, is your grade on following the the procedure rather than the answer. So they don't okay. care if you can come up with the answer. They're pretty much all grading. On the step by step, how you got there? Do, do yeah, it's horrible too. It's I understand. I've seen 
I haven't taught it, and I, I hope I don't. I hope I'm not asked to. Um, and if I'm not an expert on, it's called core math. So what? What would happen? Mathematics or something. What would happen? What would happen? I saw an example of a simple addition problem. Unreal. Problem. Are you kidding me? I don't know who came up with this. So what would happen? I, I understand what they're trying to do. They're trying to you make do. conceptually. Easy. They're trying to make it more conceptual. So the kids understand more about what the process is, but my God, they missed the mark. So what would ha- I mean, what would happen? I'm sorry, Robin, go ahead. I'm having a nervous attack. Here. Okay, okay, you sure turn, my dear. If ladies first. No, no, no. I'm just having a nervous attack when when somebody says we're changing everything and who cares about the answer as long as you know how you get there. So my question would be to you, Fred. If you're going to have to, let's say they came to you and you need to tutor that, how would you prepare? Would you take a crash course somehow? How would you be ready to do something when none of us grew up with that style? Well, if you know math, you you can look at it and know what they're doing. Um, but it doesn't, I don't know how I would teach it. Because mm-hmm. to me, uh, to me to be, this goes from everything, from coaching to to, to math to, to to history. If I'm going to teach you something, I want to know it. I want to know the subject ten times more than what I'm teaching you. Sure. Okay, and, and that wouldn't be the case if I was teaching somebody core mathematics. It would just simply would not be the case. I, I would be able to maybe do low level. Like for example, the example I saw. This is this is an example of what I saw. Like I said, I'm by no means an expert, but I saw printed a, a, a simple example on a simple subtraction problem. And basically, the problem was fifty. The operative word is simple. Yes. And so they take. So what they do is okay. Fifty-three take away thirteen. Okay. Well, or or let's we'll say fourteen. Okay, so the first thing you want to do is you want to get to the nearest 5 or 0. So you take your lower number, which is 14. 14, and you got to write this all out, too. 14 plus 1 is 15. Okay, so now you're at the 5, right? Yeah. Now you want to mm-hmm. get to the next 0 or 5. So you got to add 5 more to that. So 15 plus 5 is 20. <laughs> okay? Now you want to go by tens until you get to 50, because you're going to try to get to 53. So 20 plus 10 is 30. 30 plus 10 is 40. 40 plus 10 is 50. You're writing all these right about, one right above the other. And now you want to get from 50 to 53. So that's 50 plus 3 is 53. And then you add all the middle numbers up. And you come up with your answer, which is 39. Thirty-nine. <laughs> yeah, you get oh, you got, because we're subtracting here. Four, well, and they wonder why kids quit school. You got fourteen plus one is fifteen, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then you got fifteen plus five is twenty. So there's two middle uh, numbers for right now: are one and five. Okay, so five and, is and twenty plus ten. Twenty plus yeah, and you got all those middle numbers up. That's your answer. Um. Instead of 
Borrowing from the three, make, five, making it a four. Making the three a thirteen. Thirteen take away four is nine. Four take away one is three. Bang, I'm there. I can just imagine a kid ten years from now trying to take the SAT, and we all know that you should be on a time card. What are they going to do? Just throw the, the time out and just say... You yeah, I have no idea what they're going to... Uh, when they say turn to page 39, how are they going to get there? Right. I mean, I, I you know, I understand, uh-huh. again, I understand they're trying to... Okay, by teaching it that way, they're saying, okay, we're showing the kids that the difference between 53 and 14 is 39. And it's not just a process mm-hmm. that there's a reason for it. But, you know, you can do that with toothpicks, for Christ's sakes. Sometimes 
I don't get it. I mean, there's, there's strange things involved. Sometimes you don't get it, and you're the teacher. You're the teacher. Yeah. It's, it's, like, it's, it's almost like these friggin' operating systems and windows. You know, why do they change them every six months? Right? No, no, I, th- I thought it was really hot stuff when I had an algebra teacher, bless her heart, who used to go off in, in different ways, and she said, how do you add up a column of figures? And, you know, we'd say, okay, you go down this column and then that column. She said, yeah. no, start from the left. Oh, and yeah. The left column, and then the middle column, and then the right column. And when you get finished, you've got three numbers to add together. Yeah. And I thought, isn't that dynamite? Yeah. And yeah. you're talking about, oh, my gosh. I, well, I'll I would watch uh, adding from the left to the right. There was this Steve Harvey, this kid on Steve Harvey. You ever watch Steve Harvey's show? Yep. There was this mathematical genius on this show, and this kid was like five years old. And he's squaring, you know, he's squaring 164 in his head. And I'm like, wow. I'm just sitting there, my jaw dropped open. I'm like... You know, if you try to teach this poor kid core math, he's probably going to go crazy. I'll put your apple car in. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's unbelievable. You know, I, uh, uh, and I was talking to a couple of kids today, and, uh, of course, they were young, and they, you couldn't explain things real well, but I was talking to them about the school day. At first, I was asking them things, you know, like, do you remember such and such, such and such? And I have no idea what cassettes are, which blew my mind. <laughs> like, no clue. Yeah, and, uh, Boy, throw an 8-track tape at him. Oh, they, they had no, I did. They had no idea what that was either. Uh, they knew. They knew what, the only thing I could come up with that they, that they remembered was the Nintendo. They, they do remember Nintendo? Well, they know what it is. They don't necessarily remember playing on that. Yeah. yeah. But they recognize yeah. there's a name to it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh my. Oh my. You know, I mean. You know about the school bag. This is, and and I'm I'm truly I I hate it when somebody says, well, there's nothing against this, but when you finish with a but, you know darn well it is. And I yeah. I truly mean no disrespect for anyone. You're describing to me what I would consider a fairly sophisticated system that's easy for kids to tap into, but it's a lot more sophisticated than punching, instead of numbers and making change, pressing a picture on a, on a cash register. I've got four pieces of chicken, four pieces of chicken that's on a picture there. I've got three hamburgers, three hamburgers are on a picture there. And nobody has to do anything. Right, there's it, no concept It's change. You pay, they, they, they tell you, give them $7, and the change comes out in a cup. Nobody has to count anymore. Right. I've, I've taught math, and this, is, this blows me away. I've taught math to kids who will start with, like, 52 and take away something and end up with more. Mm-hmm. And I have no clue. No. That's why that can, can't possibly be right. All right. Another no disrespect here. You could do this with Tootsie Rolls. 
and they can uh, eat their answers. If they get the answer correct, they can eat their answers. Oh, there you go. That's cool. Yeah, I that. Well, what my mind is, wait a minute. You know, you can, you can sit there. I say, you know, what would you rather have, $52 or $70? And they can say, oh, $70. That's more money. That's okay. And then, so you understand that 70 is larger than 52. Yeah, yeah. Then how come, but, but, so you, if, if you know that, then tell me again, what's wrong with the fact that 52, you got 52, take away 16 is 70. What's wrong with that answer? And it'll still sit there and scratch their head. Oh, my gosh. Oh, no, I did it right. Think about this, you know, but they don't understand what it means to subtract. Yeah. They, they don't get the concept. That's the whole thing. It's a, so they're looking at in, it like... We're in the gimme society. They're accustomed to getting, not taking away. Yeah. It's all, it's all, I did the process, and that's the answer I came up with. Make well, a pussy rolls, and they'll do fine. You know, it's, yeah, it's like, but it's like they can... They can push add on a calculator mm-hmm. and then not even understand that what they came up with couldn't possibly be correct. You know, it's it, it's just won't find a way. Oh, wow. Well. All right, Fred? Yeah. You know, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm switching topics on you. Our eagles are doing coolly great. Have you checked them lately? What? The eagles. Oh, oh my goodness! I they were huge. Our baby eagles are not babies in it. Did they fledge? Are they fledging yet? Uh, leaving, leaving the tree. Uh huh. Flying. I haven't seen. Well, yeah, but from like the, I haven't seen them. No, actually, no. One did leave the tree the other day. So it left the tree. E seven left the tree. Went to a nearby tree. And there's only one in the nest tonight. I haven't checked them for a long time, but even two weeks ago, there was only one in the nest because the other one was standing on a branch. We have an eagle's nest here in southwest Florida. It's actually in North Fort Myers, so it's not very far. We have them all over the place, but this particular one is set up with an infrared camera system. So we could watch them hatch, and we could watch them grow, and we could watch them get fluffy and then real feathers, and they've all got their real feathers now. So there's only one in the nest tonight. The other one is up in a tree somewhere. Yeah, it's really cool. It was getting, uh, the one that, that flew over was getting harassed by a bunch of, uh, uh, I think they were crows. They went dive-bombing them. Uh-huh. Yeah, yep. was, it, it could have been mockingbirds as well. He was holding his elbow. He was oh, our mockingbirds. The wind thing and, and doing the mouth warning and stuff, and mm-hmm. we're back in the tree. Who does? Who operates the camera? I didn't see that live. I saw that on one of the videos. But who operates that camera where it actually moves? Wow. Wow. You know. But. There he is. Oh, my goodness. He's, he's taking up half the nest, and he's only a baby. Yeah, they're, they're both. Uh... Yeah. So for anyone uh, who would like, and I did send it out a couple of times. Shame on me for not 
reminding people, I will send you the link to the eagle cam, and you can see the grown-up babies still sitting in the nest. I guess they must be feeding themselves. Mom brings a fish, and they eat it themselves. She does, or Dad, because they both do this. So yeah. just drop me an email at floridawriter at hotmail.com, and I will send you the link to the eagle cam, and you can watch the eagles day and night. I saw one that was really cute. This was about quite a few weeks ago, but I think it was one of the one of the baby eagles. The less dominant one was being left out, mm-hmm. and the other one was eating and stuff. And uh, yeah, it would like that it, it would all of a sudden it would sneak a real quick bite in the other one. <laughs> it was funny. It was like it reminded me of just two little kids, you know. Now something happened to the smaller one quite a while back, and. It was being cared for by the um, conservation organization, and they put it back in the nest. But I never found out what happened. I never found out how it got to crow. It's the care and rehabilitation of wildlife, I think. is. Uh, oh, I know that. Oh. Yeah, and they fed it. They had on the news one night that I managed to catch the local news, they were feeding it. And my guess is, because it was the little runt, uh, eagles are always born if if there are two eggs. And, um, you know, just doing an update here or or a recap, if there are two eggs, they always hatch two or three days apart. And that two or three days makes such a significant difference because the second hatchling is always significantly smaller than the other. So it's vulnerable to being pecked and shoved out of the nest. It's, it, it's, it doesn't get as much food as the other one because it doesn't squawk. It, it's not as strong. Right. And for some reason, this little guy wound up with crow, and they brought it back and put it back. But because it was being fed regularly, my thought is that it actually got a leg up on survival. Oh, yeah. Uh, uh, it was guaranteed food, yeah. Yeah. But they thrived. Both of them thrived. The last time I looked, they were scrunched together in the nest. You know? yeah, it was a small nest. But, so, um, anyhow, thank you. Thank you for reminding me. There he is. He's preening his feathers. Whichever one is there, he's preening his feathers. So, okay, old-time radio. Fred, what have you been listening to? I still can't tell the two adults apart. But uh, I haven't been listening to a lot lately. I haven't had a whole lot of time. Well, I do have to disagree with you guys on the five-minute mysteries. I like those. Really? Yes, I do. I've always enjoyed those. Or the two-minute mysteries. Isn't there two-minute ones, too? One-minute mysteries and five-minute mysteries. mysteries. And then the full-length... And then Ellie Queen has a one-minute mystery. I like those, too. I like all that kind of stuff. And I I think they stink, too. (laughs) Well... (laughs) That's just because you guys can't figure them out. I know. We're, du- I, I, we're going through dumb... Yeah. I know the answer to that. <laughs> <laughs> I call them one-minute mysteries, and you get 15 seconds of mystery and 45 seconds of other. Well, that's where the store comes in. you got to pick out the part that don't fit. Oh, dear. You're the one who does core math. I, I bow to your judgment. <laughs> okay. All right. So that means you were listening. What... Show. Did you or have you thought, and not necessarily the entire program, 
but an individual show will do just fine that you think was either the worst, the weirdest, the something bad. I've never heard of the worst horrible radio show in my life. Wow. They're all great. <laughs> what? They're all great. They're all great. They're all fantastic. Put Fred on the phone, you imposter. <laughs> Glad I did. I saw him live on stage. It was a memorable experience. So yeah, I. Does he count as old time radio? Yep, I would. Okay. You, you okay with that, Patricia? If I knew which one, I'm sorry. Bob Hope. Say it again. Bob Hope. Hope. Bob Hope. Bob Hope. Is he old time radio? Oh yeah. Okay, that's what I Okay, and as far as oh god, as far as anybody at all. Yep. Um. I would love to see Janis Joplin in concert. <gasps> Whoa. That would Are be YouTube fun or what? Yeah, what's that? That is fun stuff you just tapped into. Yes. Oh, I would I would kill the scene. Oh, my gosh. There's oh, a lot of performers that died way beyond that. I would so mm-hmm. but she's one. But she's definitely one of the top ones. So, yeah. <laughs> she was a magician musician, mm. for sure. Yes. She was something. What a voice. I once said that uh, happiness is wearing in a nice hot tub with Janis Joplin blaring in the background. 
Buffalo. I, I like <laughs> hot, hot, hot baths, rock music. Oh, right? my gosh. <laughs> I'm going to bed, okay? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tonight was going to be a short show. I think we're right. <laughs> oh, Fred. Oh, my gosh. And this isn't nearly as good as what you did to us that Christmas. Oh, I don't know. I do. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Okay. All right. So no worst show from you. Bob Hope qualifies as old-time radio. And Janis Joplin, what a hot choice. That was good. That was really good. You guys have a good night. All right, Fred. Well, thank you, Fred. And you have a good week. I shall. Perfect. Bye-bye. Well, you want to just be us kids? Just us kids. Okay. I'm down to your questions. You know, I have to give it to Fred. He comes with some of the most wonderful, (laughs) off-the-wall comments that we have in the family, you know? Uh, Colorful. (laughs) (laughs) Fred, you are colorful. And I mean that in a good sense. You are colorful. We love having you in the family, Fred, because you are colorful. Colorful. (laughs) (laughs) What a family we have. Okay, one Winnie the Pooh, and then we go to your question. Okay? It has to be okay, because I just said so. (laughs) Winnie the Pooh said... You are braver than you believe, smarter than you seem, and stronger than you think. Very nice, Winnie. Winnie Very is nice. good. Okay, so we've got your questions mm-hmm. now. We've got Stump Walden, your brain teaser, a presidential question, a presidential quote, your colonial question, first lady question or quote, and your baseball question. I would like to do the brain teaser first. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. It's an easy one. If you don't get it, you're fired. Okay. All right. Let's see here. What's always coming but never arrives? And it's only easy because I knew the answer. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I say that to people. Oh, that's an easy one. Well, of course it is. You knew the answer. What is always coming but never arrives. This is Yesterday USA, and you can find us at yesterdayusa.com. Got some good stuff up there. Walden and I are not there, but... Or I'm not there. You are, I guess, huh? I don't know. I don't oh. see. I don't see us on the homepage. So that's true. Yeah. You, you know, we're just. You used to be drizzled up there a little bit. Gosh, and we are so hot too. That's okay. Nothing. Nothing like self praise, you know. That's okay. I mean, we're the hidden. Se- we're the hidden secret on the station. Uh-huh. Uh. Or the hidden secret on the station. Yeah, and stuff like that there. Yeah. Yeah, and Calvin and Hobbes. We've got 
just awful. Oh, God. While, while you're busy with that, we've still got 19 days on an auction mm-hmm. and a single panel of Calvin and Hobbes' cartoon that appeared weekly and Sunday. Mm-hmm. A single panel, $21,000. Can, can you and I get we, a commission? We haven't talked a lot about obscenities tonight. Yeah, can you, and I, can you and I get a commission for that? I mean, you know, I'll be happy to sell my copy if we had one. Well, they're, they're, yeah, I know. I, I have a whole bunch of Calvin and Hobbes comic books. Not comic books, but books with comics in them. Uh-huh. Soft, they're soft-covered like comic books would be. Right. A little bit more substantial than comic books. So maybe I'll hold on to them forever, and then I can make a million dollars, right? Well, you can hold on to those, too. You can hold, hold on to those for enjoyable and get sell the plants, you know. They're really fun. I love Calvin and Hobbes. Uh, but a single panel from a weekly comic, one, two, three, four, four little pictures, $21,000. And that's the bid. That's not with, mm-hmm. with the premium. By the time you get finished with the commission and the premium and the mailing and everything like that, 25000 Not bad. I wonder if Bill Watterson somebody must, some, got in his yeah. Somebody must have some money. Well, yeah, either that or he's going to get arrested for putting it in. <laughs> what, what, what blows me away is that there, we still have 19 days left in this auction, mm. and somebody has already jacked the bid up to $21,000. <laughs> oh, well, anyway, okay. What's always coming but never arrives? I'm sorry for digressing. A wish. What is always coming but never arrives? A ma- the, the, a male, the male. Um, I, I mean, I, I know <laughs> that'll work. <laughs> yeah, I, I've been. I, I, I bet it seems really logical, and I can't think of it at the moment. What, what the it, answer? It's really like tomorrow. Ah, uh, yes, very good, very good. And that was the only one on the whole page that I knew the answer to. <laughs> so I thought it would be okay. If very good. Okay, so we still have Stump Walden. Mm-hmm. Your presidential question, presidential quote, colonial history, which is really cool. First lady, question or quote, and your baseball question. Baseball. Okay. Quote it now. Everything on the Internet is true. I understand that. Yeah. But I trust you better. Yeah. The New York Yankees, the most successful Major League Baseball team of all time. Who was the pitcher with the win-loss percentage Best win-loss percentage of any pitcher within. Huh, let me let me do this again. Who is the pitcher with the best one-loss percentage of any pitcher with at least 15 wins against the Yankees? Oh, okay. I think I've heard this one. Um, Yeah, so that would let Colfax out. I don't think he has that kind of numbers. Um, how about Nolan Ryan? How about Babe Ruth? Ah, that's why I heard it. Yes, very he good. 17 wins and 5 losses very against good. the Yankees when he was pitching for the Red Sox. Very good. 
Now that one knocked my socks yep. off. Yep. Yep. Very good. How many how many years did he play with the Red Sox? I don't think I really know. My guess would be about six or seven. So six or seven years, seventeen wins against the Yankees. Mm-hmm. Wowzers. Good stuff. Very good stuff. Okay, what's next? My colonial question. Your colonial question. At the time the Bill of Rights was drafted and and ratified, what was Thomas Jefferson's official title? He was the ambassador to France. How did you know that? They said the U.S. minister to France. I think ambassador. <laughs> and, and yeah, I seem to remember that that he was out. Of, he, he was out yeah, of the country. Yeah. I didn't know that. I just mm-hmm. thought they gave France to France to Ben Franklin and let him loose. You think he lay woo-la with the ladies over in France and never came home? Ooh-la-la. Yeah, he yeah. was. Yeah. Ooh-la-la. <laughs> <laughs> I uh. think we probably have Ben Franklin relatives internationally. Hmm. Good old Ben. Yeah. I, I think so. I think so. Okay, yeah. what's next? My predatory lady stuffer. <laughs> <laughs> Could we talk about a first lady, right? That's right. That's right. The first lady. Who is the only first lady to have been given an honorary seat on the floor of Congress? My gut hunch would be Eleanor Roosevelt. Nope. Knock my socks off again. Edith Walton. What? Edith Wilson, you know, she sort of ran the White House. No, no, Wilson. I'm I'm sorry, I missed the last name. No, it was not Wilson. I do not know. It was Dolly Madison. Wow. Can you imagine? James Madison's wife, and she was also the first American to respond to a telegraph message sent by inventor Samuel Morse. I never knew that. I never did either. I never knew any of this. See, you teach me. I have to go out and look for this stuff, and then I learn something. You know, okay, she, what's she, she mm-hmm. saved one of, great, uh, one of the great artworks, you know that. Yes, she was all when the British were, yeah, yep. she grabbed. The Washington um, painting. With George, George Washington's portrait. That's that right, correct? yep, yep. I learned that from you. Oh, see, you're so smart. I am now. <laughs> I can wow people. Oh yeah, Walden taught me that, and he says everything that's true. So if it's if it's out of Walden's mouth, it's true. It has nothing to do with the internet. Okay, what's next? Um, my presidential quote, please. Your presidential quote: A president's hardest job is not to do what is right, but to know what is right. Wow, that's a great line. I, I imagine if been president, they just wonder if they are making the right call. Oh. Mm-hmm. Herbert Hoover. Nope. This one's going to surprise you. But, of course, everything on the Internet is different. Oh, yeah. It's a pretty official site, so. Uh, Taft. No. Silent Cow. 
Nope. It was Lyndon Johnson. It's attributed wow. to Lyndon Johnson. I have seen similar quotes attributed to other presidents, uh-huh. and I think this is one of the common threads that runs through the presidency. It's uh, you have to know what to do before you do it type thing. Right. But this is attributed to Lyndon Johnson. A president's hardest task is not to do what is right, but to know what is right, which is that's pretty cool. Yeah, very much so. Mm-hmm. I think people need to run on that track as sure, well. Okay, sure. so now what do we have left here? What do we have left? We've got... Stump Walden. Um, you're Stump Walden. And... Presidential question, I think. And your presidential question. My presidential question, please. All right. Which president holds the dubious place of having been the target of the first presidential assassination? Attempted, I should say. First attempted presidential assassination. Well, that'd be Andrew Jackson. It was Andrew Jackson. And he was attending a memorial service, and somebody tried, and so he beat the gun out of the guy's hand with a stick, with a cane. He he actually chased him, too. (laughs) Um, According to what information I have, the guy had two guns, two, and both of them misfired. I think Andrew Jackson was meant to live if that happened for him, huh? Can you imagine? The guy's name was Richard Lawrence. He was a house painter. And I wish I had had time to go fussing around to find out what this guy's beef was. But he showed up with two guns, and both of them misfired. Wow. One, some, some statistician, or, yeah, I guess a statistician, um said that it could occur that way once in 125,000 tries. Uh, Even that sounds low to me, to have two guns misfire, being held by the same person. I would think the odds are much higher than 125,000 to one. What do you think? You're the math guy. Yeah, now today it would be, you know, but back in those days it's, uh, how many look muskets yeah. and things might have misfired? That's, that's the point. You're right. Yeah. The the quality of the guns was not uh, the precision. You're right. Yeah. Okay, I accept that. See, that's how come you're the math person and I'm not. I'm not a lot of stuff. You know? yes, you're plenty. <laughs> you're plenty of everything. Oh, my goodness, yes. Oh. Plenty of, I need to go to bed now. Okay, so that leaves us with your stump Walden question. Let's do it. This has got to be the stupidest question I ever asked you. In the <laughs> That's true. In the program The Court of Human Relations, who played the judge? Wasn't that John J. Anthony? No, he had um The Good the Goodwill Hour, I know, but Yeah, and, and he oh gosh, what was the second one he did after he got chewed up and spit yeah. out on the other one. Oh, <laughs> I can't remember. It was John, Mr. Anthony, John J. Anthony. Right. I don't know, my dear. You got me. Uh, well, I, I'm not surprised. I mean, it's a stupid yeah. answer, too. Yeah. Percy Hemus, or Hamus. I don't even know how to pronounce wow. the guy's name. Wow. H-E-M-U-S. Uh, I picked this because it was on for quite a few years. I don't recall exactly how many. But it was, you know, four or five, six years. It was pretty hot stuff. They were real-life legal dramas that were brought to radio. And the audience was asked 
to choose which answer was correct. Let the guy go, send him to jail, give the wife a divorce. It, it really had some interesting stuff in there. The end. Amazing. The end. Well, Would we... you like to know what Jay Leno said about politics? Sure. What did Jay say? Jay Leno said, if God had wanted us to vote, he would have given us candidates. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. Um, and this one is attributed to King Henry VII. Now, I don't know that someone <laughs> that far back, how, how, well, seventh was before the eighth, and Henry VIII was pretty old. Um, but anyway, it says the problem with political jokes is that they get elected. <laughs> and that's, that's attributed to Hen King Henry VII. Wow. They didn't have elections. Wow. They had executions. That's true. Oh, yeah. So anyway, it's, it's, it's kind of funny. Sure. That sounds like something Will Rogers would say. Yep. Absolutely. But he didn't. Let's see. Okay, Nikita Khrushchev. Politicians are the same all over. They promise to build a bridge even when there is no river. Ooh. We did have a few of them, didn't mm -hmm. we? Absolutely. These attributions look weird to me, but that's what they said. So I have finished. I've got a million things that I will carry over until next week. And so, in the meantime, we're finished. We're ready. Patricia and I'm I finished. Patricia and I are hitting the road. Okay, we're both tired. You ready? Yeah. All I'm right. ready. All right, everybody. Good night, everybody. Thank you for being with us and spending time with us. And gosh, we had a good time tonight. We sure I did. did. We sure did. Good, good night, everybody. Well, good night, Patricia. <laughs> To know you is to love you And I love you Cause I know you are such a sweetheart That when you walk down the street Everyone's heart just naturally skips a beat The others who have met you Better start in to forget you Because to know you is to love you so It's time for everyone you know to know you Love me To know Were you Love Where you would be, there would be sweeter honey. And I love Where you would tune, everyone would be crooning, harmonizing out of the street. You're such a sweetheart. You're such a bundle of me, oh that my. When you walk and that's the down reason the street. when you go by each heart. Everyone's heart skips just naturally skips a beat. Dear, we would spring, you would be twice springy. We would find you would be twice springy. We would moon, everyone would be spooning. And I'd be mighty sweet. Because to know you is to love you so. It's time for everyone you know to know you. Love me. 
twice as close as you know you be. Sound it would be twice as sunny. Where you would be, there would be sweeter honey. Where you would tune, everyone would be crooning, harmonizing out in the street. You're such a bond, love me, oh my. And that's the reason when you go by each heart, naturally skips a beat. Yeah, where you were spring, you would be twice as springy. Where you were vine, you would be twice as clingy. Where you were moon, everyone would be spooning. Every night would be mighty sweet because to know you is to love you so. It's time for everyone you know. You make my life a bowl of peaches and cream. You got me living in the craziest dream to know that you love me. Jaws Professional Patricia from FL Home, Bill Alt F4. Alt Tab, Skype Trademark Left Bracket Third Alt F4, Patricia from FL Home, Alt F4. Alt Tab, Bill Brad, Alt Tab, MP3, Alt Tab, Bill Brad, Alt Tab, Skype Trademark, Alt Tab, Bill Brad, Alt Tab, Skype Trademark Left Bracket, Alt F4, Bill Brad, Type of Mess, Alt F4. Alt Tab, Sound Forge Pro.